Welcome to the worst of all possible worlds, the first and only podcast upholding the time-honored traditions of the American musical theater, including performing live. We've got Brendan Dalton here today with us. I'm the worst of all possible ages. I'm the worst of all possible judges. And I'm the worst of all possible Brian's. And you'll be really enjoying the underscore music. This is the first ever live performance of our theme song, brought to you by the man who performed, who originally composed and performed it, Brendan Dalton. Hi, hi Brendan. Brendan, it's hey, done. We faded out. It's gone. Hi. So, Brendan, hello. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. The case study we're doing today is in a musical that I think AJ suggested. He decided uh-huh. to inflict this upon us, mm-hmm. specifically the film adaptation of Dear Evan Hansen. And I think uh, the Brendan, he just kind of like roped you into this, right? Yeah, that's a, absolutely right. Yeah. Can I, can I tell you my thought process about bringing Dalton in was that he do music and this thing have music. So mm. he must come on to talk music. Um, I think what actually happened was that I, I was on hold with second stage um mm. trying to get tickets for a show i was trying to find out if they had artist tickets and they just kept looping 30 seconds of waving through a window oh, over and great. over and over again on the outside always looking in will i ever be more than i've always been because i'm tap tap tapping on the glass waving through a window i try to speak no, how did that make you feel it. um it was it was excruciating. Waving through yeah. a window is one of the only songs I've heard, uh, like at a grocery store. The wow. only other song I ever heard from a Broadway musical at a grocery store was "Every Meyer in Michigan and Ohio in the Greater uh, Meyer Market area used to play on a regular loop." Rise above from Spider-Man, turn off the dark. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> what? <laughs> That's awesome. I uh, am an uh, actor, composer, musician, and I didn't want to ever watch this. Right. (laughs) And AJ, he said, hey, we're going to have you on the podcast to talk about. I think you know what it is. And I was like, oh, my God, it's Lord of the Rings. He's like, it's not Lord of the Rings. (laughs) And I was like, is it the Hobbit? He's like, it's not the Hobbit, but you're close. (laughs) The way that we we tend to do things is our guests uh, choose the topic from a list of topics. And AJ is now revealing to us (laughs) that he he just forced it upon you, strapped you you down. Yeah. Yeah. Pushed your eyes open and shoved this movie. I love that. He actually Mm -hmm. said to me, because I didn't understand. I I don't know the musical so well that he gave me a reference in our text thread. He said, you know, all I all I think is that you're going to be found. And I didn't understand. I was like, I started googling found i was like what is there a movie called found it's the sequel to lost because <laughs> yeah. he had recently learned about my experience with the second stage hold music yes um, <laughs> there's a lot of musicals out there there are no musicals for baritones anymore like there are no, no. good musicals yep. for baritones anymore no, we are all baritones here so and we it's, all it's, it's you like the, can tell it's so upsetting. it's like the the last two musicals ever for baritones were she into loves the me. woods and passion and into the woods they always end up casting a tenor as the baker why don't we go ahead and take a step back and talk a bit more about like what dear evan hansen even is like a lot mm. of people sure, are familiar yeah. with the movie because it just got released as streaming on hbo like what two weeks ago or something like that earlier this month we talked about a very sad danish boy 
named Hamlet. We did. And this week we're talking about a very sad Danish boy named Evan Hansen. And catch us next week when we talk about Thomas Vinterberg's The Celebration, about <laughs> the saddest Danish boy of all. Uh, so I can, I think I can provide a little bit of history for Dear Evan Hansen. I feel like out of everyone here, I dove deepest into the deep abyss that is because this that's musical. what you do with that bad is, musicals. Yep. AJ. It, it really is like my. Uh, bread and butter. So it's composed by uh, Pasek and Paul, Benj Pasek and Justin Paul, who uh, met at the University of Michigan. The Michigan BFA program in theater is full of some of the biggest perverts known to mankind. Well, it's, it's, like, actually, it's also what produced the Harry Potter musical. Yes, yeah. it is. It is known as the U of M Mafia. They really did manage to like, make a foothold for themselves in New York City and become A lot of them are also evangelical successful. Christians, which is interesting. Yeah. I feel like the musical theater scene over the last 10, 15 years has become increased evangelical. So this started out as an idea by Benj Pasek. When he was in high school, a classmate of his overdosed and the rest of the student body started like kind of globbing on to that tragedy and making it about them, saying how they were like really close friends with the guy, even though none of them really knew him. And Benj Pasek himself was just like, I also started to do it. And he found that impulse to like personalize somebody else's tragedy and make it all about yourself uh, was an interesting one and a concept for a musical. And it kicked around in his head for, I think, about five, seven years uh, before they, he actually started work on it. In the meantime, Pasek and Paul uh, produced the musical Dogfight based on the early 90s movie, which did catch a lot of attention because it was it, it's a show of mostly men. Yes. And um, I think it's their most successful score. Honestly, it is. It is the one because they're set in a certain time period and then they can't just do their normal like pop tricks. It, it is sort of, the most interesting of their it, it scores. It sort of has the it's like they're doing a Jason Robert Brown pastiche. You better call the cops and give them warning. Sound the siren. Bang the bell. A man in this morning on his way to raise some hell no sleeping us out or keeping us quiet Try yeah and they had a brief success earlier on with a show called edges which i think brendan knows a little something about i i was in a production of edges <clears throat> were you really at a uh, friend central high school it was like a one or two night only uh concert that my friend ha had been putting together and it is the high school that Benj Pasek uh, attended. He was supposed to come to see us. And we were like, oh, my God, like Benj Pasek, Pasek and Paul, like we're going to do their show. They're going to come. This is their high school. This is his high school. Waiting for Guffman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I remember it, and this can only be confirmed by myself, but uh, <laughs> but there was a spider bite incident that prevented Mr. Pasek from uh, joining us on our opening night. But we did get an opening night phone call from him. And I think his parents or maybe his parents attended uh, and they said, sorry, like he's in the hospital. He was on vacation and he got bit by a spider. No one can confirm the spider bite, but a friend of mine has confirmed the phone call on opening night and that we were expecting to see him mm. and possibly Paul. Um, it's, it's a shame that he got sick, but it's good that he managed to rise above to make that call to you. They would go on to win uh, a Jonathan Larson Award for songwriting. And, you know, they started doing concerts at Joe's Pub with like Cheyenne Jackson and mm. like other big name Broadway people. They got an offer from a producer basically saying, what is the one idea for a show that you have that other people will say will never do that? And it turns out it was this idea. It was the idea of why do we glom on to 
other people's deaths and make them about ourselves. That is that is like the kernel at the center of Dear Evan Hansen. So uh, it has a whole bunch of readings. Ben Platt is cast in from reading one like he is there. Yeah, Evan like, Hansen in like 2014 or something. And then they open at the arena stage. And that's in Washington, D.C. This thing had a whole bunch of hype behind it. So it transferred to second stage, which is here off Broadway in New York, which I believe is where Dogfight was, too. I also believe it's where uh, Brendan Dalton tried to call and was <laughs> It was met with a very frustrating uh, whole loop of experience. Forest, and there's nobody around. Do you ever really crash or even make a sound when you're falling in a forest and there's nobody around? Do you ever really crash or even make a sound when you're falling in a forest and there's nobody around? Do you ever really crash or even make a sound when you're falling in a forest and there's nobody around? Do you ever really crash or Just finish the song. Yeah, it, it, would, it, would, it would like you just play through the entire just song, play through right. the whole song and then play it again. That's fine if that's the only yeah. song you have. But it's just the first 30 seconds. It's like they're trying. I really believe it's a, it's a tactic. They want people oh, yeah. to get off the phone. And, <laughs> yeah, they're and breaking down your sanity. <laughs> anyway, they, um, they really, yeah. the critics see the show and promptly lose their god. Oh, my God. Minds. I remember that. Yeah. They are proclaiming this to be the savior of musical theater, you would imagine. Here are some of the reviews. This is what Isherwood wrote in the New York Times. Gorgeous new musical. Rarely. Scratch that. Never. Have I heard so many stifled sobs and sniffles in the theater. For those allergic to synthetic sentiment, rest assured that the show, with a haunting score by Benj Pasek and Just- Justin huh? Paul, matched by a book of equal sensitivity by Stephen Levinson, doesn't sledgehammer home its affecting story. On the oh, contrary. uh-huh. Sure it doesn't. The musical <laughs> finds endless nuance in the relationships among Lord. its characters and makes room for some leavening humor too. The musical is an idea for, ideal for families looking for something more complex than the usual sugary diversions. They but call then, it a family show? It should also appeal to just about anyone who has ever felt at some point in life that he or she was trapped on the outside looking in, oh. as one lyric has it, which is just about <laughs> everybody with a beating heart. This thing flies to Broadway. Yeah, I was going to say, didn't it, didn't it actually open on off Broadway, uh, open off Broadway and on Broadway in the same in the same year? Oh, yeah, right. like twenty sixteen. Yeah, it closed in May, opened at the Music Box Theater in November. It is not at all uncommon for a show to get an off Broadway run and then still continue to tour like nationally or do the regional circuit or whatever and then eventually come back to Broadway years later. There are a couple songs that changed between the off Broadway run and the Broadway run but it's almost all superficial like Waving Through a Window was there, You Will Be Found was there, Only only Us was there which is like the big romantic duet hit. It won so many Tony Awards. Yep. At the Tonys hosted by Kevin Spacey. That's yep. right. Wow. Oh okay. my God! So I want to give appropriate. Yes, absolutely. I want to give some context for the 2017 Tonys because I think it's very interesting to talk about because that was the mm-hmm. year that Natasha Pierre in the Great Comet of 1812 was also nominated for a shit ton of awards and I don't think won any of them. The thing I remember most about the 2017 Tonys was usually after the Tonys, people are erupting like they're going nuts on Twitter. They're saying, "Yeah, it won! It fought Dear Evan Hansen took it," and it was silent that night <laughs> because the dirty little secret of Dear Evan Hansen was that while the critics kind of lost their minds, theater people as a whole don't generally like this show. I, I think there's also something generational there. It's very Spring like, Awakening, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and like Spring Awakening, it's 
you know, it's a musical, it's a musical aimed at teenagers, which is a sort of a relatively novel concept in the in the terms of like the history of musical theater, right? Fairly right. like recent, yeah. Probably the first musical for that that really like appealed to a teenage or very very early twenties, like still in college audience, was Hair, and they tried to replicate that success after you know Hair got on Broadway in '68 and just blew up. Right. And they they never really could. Everything else skewed a little bit older, right? There were a couple of other attempts like Via Galactica or Dude that completely bombed. But then Rent comes along in like, 90, what is it, 96 when it gets to Broadway? Yeah. And that was a youth quake. It youth was quake, insane. Richard. <laughs> it was insane. I mean, you know, there are all sorts of stories about the communities that came up of people just like standing in line for the, the SRO tickets for hours and hours and hours. And it showed that there was now a viable market for shows aimed at teenagers, yes. which led to like Wicked. A lot of Wicked success is exactly that. Spring Awakening. I was one of them. I was mm-hmm. one of those teens who loved Wicked. <laughs> and then Spring Awakening, of course, was like marketed as the next rent. And right. then people have tried to find the ne- next to normal was trying to be that for a while. Uh, be more chill too. the Joe Iconis oh, musical, yeah, no. yeah. which is mm-hmm. most similar, I think, to Dear Evan Hansen. What were you hearing or what were you experiencing with regard to this? Or was it not so much on your radar at the time? It wasn't really on my radar. I I knew that there was a show by Pasek and Paul, who I had like, mm-hmm. I I liked my time doing Edges. It was a fun thing. And I knew that they, I knew that they had done dogfight and that it had been received well. I didn't want to like it from the get go. Mm. Um, I didn't like the snippets of music that I was hearing. What about the music didn't appeal to you? It like hits all of the, there's like this large school of thought that like, if it's catchy, it wins. Like sure. you can't mm-hmm. argue right. with something that's catchy, but I just like don't necessarily I agree with that in that if it's catchy, you've done something. Um, people will remember your songs and it's got to mean something. But also like wheels on the bus is catchy. People sing that to annoy people in a car. <laughs> so like listening to like waving through a window on repeat, just 30 seconds of it. I heard that it was catchy and right. I was singing it for the rest of the day and, and the day after just that little. <laughs> and yep. it just feels manipulative. Yeah, it feels and, and interestingly manipulative. I, I think definitely as we go through talking about the different beats of the movie, because we're going to be talking about the movie adaptation today primarily, yes. we can break out a little bit more of that song by song. And the song that this movie actually starts with is, wouldn't you know it, Waving Through a, waving window, through a window. Which, by the way, is not how the musical starts. Really? No. It's not. The musical does basically the opening number of Next to Normal, but with two families. Right. Oh, wow. Yes. Both alike in dignity, actually. Which is yes. basically, for those of you who are not familiar with Next normal uh, a play about a dysfunctional family this is a play about yeah. two dysfunctional families sort of yes not really the, the hansons and the murphys it's it's a it's a musical about how the irish have really had a leg up on the danish in america <laughs> but in the uh in the movie we actually don't meet the families for a little bit instead we actually mm. start out with waving through a window it which fits everywhere and that's part of a larger thing i want to talk about with 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 pask and paul show like tunes is that it seems like every single one is a trunk song yeah regardless mm-hmm. of what musical they're being written for you could take this out and put it just as easily into uh, the greatest showman for and, example and, and, AJ, yeah. and it de- would be fine can you define exactly what a trunk song is for our listeners who don't know sure. what that is Absolutely. So um, in musical theater, there are songs that are written specifically for the musical that you're watching. I mean, everything in Wicked. When I meet the wizard, once I prove my worth, 
And I need the wizard What I've waited for since Since birth And with all his wizard wisdom By my looks He won't be blinded Do you think the wizard is dumb? Or like Munchkin So small-minded no. Trunk songs are more along the lines of uh, Like Cole Porter used to do this all the time He would write songs that were just kind of Out of context Like just like uh, write a song, write a catchy little little ditty. Some get a kick from cocaine. I'm sure that if I took even one sniff, that would bore me terrifically too. Yet I get a kick out of you. To that point, then, yeah, something that is effectively a trunk song means that it can be easily slotted in basically wherever you want. And the lack of specificity here is really interesting because in yes. this movie, as we open, uh, we've got Evan Hansen and Evan is uh, played by Ben Platt, who we'll talk about his performance in a little bit. But uh, mm-hmm. he is writing a letter to himself, Evan Hansen. And uh, it's about like, uh, hey, Evan Hansen, you can be normal, too, like me. Um, because it's like a psychological whatever fucking thing. Yeah, that, his therapist, who we who we never see, told him to do this. Yeah. Right. Um, and yeah, and then we get this song about how he just doesn't fit in and because, doesn't have friends. Like there's a part in the song where it's like, I'm tap, tap, tapping on the glass and it's cut, cut, cut. And it's just it the, also has my favorite shot of him looking through a window at all of his yeah, neighbors. He's literally looking, but he doesn't actually wave through the window. To school. He no, doesn't wave at them. Also, he's also on the inside looking out. Which is, <laughs> <laughs> it's actually... It's actually a really good point. So so here's the thing. This song is actually about how how Evan Hansen feels like he is a tree. Okay, so here's the thing. In the musical, it's a little bit plausible deniability that the show is about Evan Hansen wanting to be a tree. But the movie triples down on it in a very interesting way. He feels like he's stuck in one place. He's waving at everybody. Um, The shot that you're talking about where he's looking out over at his neighbors, he's actually silhouetted with leaves over Mm. him right and as we'll find out later trees are actually very um important to evan in a very insane way (laughs) which we will get to this is the initial i want song this is him talking about what his deepest desires are which i guess is to be normal but does it succeed on doing that what does a good i want song do And does this song achieve that? When he walks in, I actually took notes while I was watching on the airplane. Oh, God, you watched it on an airplane. You watched it on an airplane. Yeah, yeah, because I I had a limited amount of time, and AJ said it was good on an airplane, so I watched it on an airplane. I did also watch it on an airplane once. Who's going to stop you, AJ? (laughs) Somebody needs to stop you. This is also why we... this movie three times. This is also why we vetoed doing Cats on this show. Anyway, keep going, Brendan. So so I think a good I want song, um, I think... The best ones are specific, right? Yeah. Like think about yeah. like the opening of Into the Woods and I hate to do a Sondheim thing here, but like it's incredibly, incredibly specific and it's so mm-hmm. effective because it ties you in um, there. There's, I guess, like two camps, right? There's the camp of like build something really, really specific and the people, the more specific it is, the more people will project themselves onto it. And then there's the other school of thought, which is right something that is as broad as possible so right. that if someone hears it on the radio, somebody watches a music video of it, they can immediately be like, that's me. I'm waving through a window. Mm. Um, yes. If I was just listening to the song, I would not be able to tell you the scenario of this show. I wouldn't be able to tell you who Evan Hansen 
is. I wouldn't t- yep. be able to tell you if Evan was singing this song or not. Um, the only right. thing that did that was all of the, the 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 shots in the movie. They told me he's walking into a school. Yeah, because yep. that's right. that's that's yeah. the thing that's so interesting about these shots is they. What I wrote down here is they also don't tell a story. Like no. he he's in this he's just like walking around the hallways of his school. There's a lot of like shots that sweep around him. And, and, we sort and of, they really could because again the the opening song of the the stage show, whereas it's him going to school. Mm-hmm. We meet both families. They could be using that to tell the same story using this song. Of I, course. I think the choice of taking this song and not doing that initial opening number was the correct one. But yeah, he's just he's just going to school. Yeah, and because, because without because if you just start with an I want song, uh, usually musicals start with a place song. Because what we end up having here then is, again, just Evan walking around. Uh, he walks into the gym for a pep rally. First day of school. Yeah, pep a rally classic first day of school do. pep rally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And very confusing here, too. Like one thing that I wrote was it, it really contrast this like with West Side Story in the way that the shots are framed in a way where your f- focus is always on something. And there's a lot of action going on, but you never are. like having to wonder where you're supposed to look whereas ironically the way that they frame it up here evan is always the focal point but you're still not sure what you're supposed to be looking at yeah 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 well i mean it's also that's also clear of like the focus of the film right the fact that we are supposed to be fully in evan hansen's head and yet by the end i feel like i don't know anything about him because they've cut almost all of his active participation in the story for the movie to make I, him more sympathetic. I will also say that I I don't know why I had issue with this as much as I did, but I kept writing it down over and over again that I understand that if you have a shy character, you want to say, okay, well, when he sings, he lets it all out. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't, he's belting in almost all of his songs in like the top of his register. Of and yep. he has yes. this one song that he's singing. It's the one where he's, uh, disguising his own, you know, feelings through the dead brother. Oh God, um, I can't wait to talk about that one. Yeah, and he's screaming these yes. things at her, yeah. and I'm like, why are you screaming? You're supposed to be shy. Like, surely, yeah. you know. I, and so I just I wanted the music to more reflect his actual personality. And if it did, I feel like waving through a window. There's a different version of that song where it's sort of it wouldn't be the opener, but it would be gentle and touching and more specific to him as a character and all of the belting and the riffing just didn't feel like it lined up with who that character is supposed to be. Yes. And the lyrics are like that too, where it's like it, when we see him talk, he can't get a word out, right? He stutters right. and stammers and, you know, doubles over and rethinks what he just said. He, and, he, he, uh, Naruto and runs and, away. Yeah. In that yeah. One of course, part. when he when God, he sings in private, run. of course he can express his, his right. feelings about himself because it's private, but he's his lyrics are exactly the same when he's talking to someone in song. Yes. 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 And that that's, even the song called Words Fail. And it, it, exactly. <laughs> it's a very frustrating thing because the, the next few things that we end up learning about Evan is, you know, he's got a crush on this girl named Zoe. Zoe Murphy. We got a, he he got he got the cast because he fell out of a tree. Um, he has yes. this friend who isn't really a friend who's an incredibly oh. who sucks. This guy sucks. Fucking dude. Jared. This sucks. is one of the funnier choices that they made in this. It's like when they rebooted Heathers and tried to make like the Heathers, who again were supposed to be all evil people who deserve to die, made them into like 
queer and non-binary. Yeah, they made him gay for some reason. Femme. They made this character who's who's very homophobic in the original play yes. into a gay character who just makes the same homophobic jokes. It doesn't make sense. They literally Which just change one this? word. Jared, the best friend. The family yeah. friend? Family yeah, friend. Yeah. Family friend. The one okay. who hangs out with Evan just because his parents make him. Right. Um, who doesn't like him. Who's a real piece of shit. This is one of the points where you start to see like there's a really nasty little movie hiding under yep. this one that's yes. so much yeah. better. And it's actually um, buried under like six drafts because the original right. draft of this musical was a lot more cynical and mm. a lot more hateful. Uh, there was an interview that they did with uh, where Jesse mm. Green hosted. This is on YouTube. This is an interview you can find. Uh, he asked them at one point, like, can you give us a line from like the original opening song? And they said, well, the original opening song was just a lot of people like being very like uh, proud of their Facebook posts about like tragedies and stuff. And I think at one someone's saying about a burrito or something, but yeah. So Evan ends up in the hallway and he sees this kid who's the brother of the girl he has the crush on, Connor. And Connor's getting bullied. He's being he's being told he has school shooter vibes. But then he turns right around and bullies Evan. He's yeah, he's, he's bullied he's, and he's the bully. Right. He's yeah. not just a depressed kid. He's like a fucked up guy. Yeah. He's, he's a guy he, who's got some real problems. He has black fingernails. Yeah, he this sure is Hangman's does. Curse. This, this is, is Hangman's, Hangman's Curse. Curse the musical. <laughs> it sure is. Oh boy, how boy howdy is it? We follow Evan to the computer lab, I believe, is yep. next. Yeah. And he writes so another Dear Evan Hansen letter. He Really frustrating lack of specificity in the writing here. But the why did reason, he write two letters to himself in one day? But the reason <laughs> that the, the, this is one of the things, things changed. about the fucking mechanics of this show, this letter has to be incredibly vague because otherwise mm. the thing that's going to happen in the plot won't be possible. So as yeah. a result, he has to write this thing that tells us absolutely nothing about him as a character and feels like a complete waste of time. But the whole reason is that it's setting up the next thing, which is yeah. that Connor, so the he, bully, finds the fucking note. Right, he has to print it out to bring it to his therapist right. who we never meet this afternoon. But he does say he accidentally prints it out in the movie when we can very clearly see him deliberately hit yeah. the yeah. print button. Yeah. Very strange. Uh, but yeah, Connor ends up intercepting it and he sees that his sister's name is on. He's like, what are you, some kind of little pervert? And he That's how he talks. And he also, I'm Alan Wake. <laughs> he also <laughs> writes, Connor writes his like own name. Actor. On Evan's cast, which again yeah. doesn't make sense, but it needs to happen. As a bullying because thing. of what's going to. I love to sign my name on somebody's cast as a bullying move. Well, that's well, interesting I, because I thought he was doing it to be nice for a second, and then he yeah. got the letter. Like he's just he was so like, maladjusted; well, he doesn't really know how to. Yeah, be nice. he said yes. like, "Let's both pretend that yeah. we have friends now." Yeah, yeah, know, and, so and the performance. The cast. So Colton Ryan is giving a very good performance as Connor. I would argue it's probably one of the best performances in the movie. He's only on screen for like three minutes yeah it's the most compelling aspect of this show fiercely like underlines how this entire setup makes no sense yeah because what his connor's reasoning as to why he gets mad and takes evan's letter from him is that he thought that evan wrote it because he saw connor in the computer lab and knew that connor would take the letter and then read it and then get really mad that he was talking about his sister and then he would freak out and make everyone think he's a psycho. So it's like there's like seven layers of like detachment when truly the obvious easy answer is that Connor just also writes one, two, and then they get them switched. And then in act two, when you want to drop the shoe, Evan then pulls out the real suicide. Oh, note. Sure. Like somebody finds his hmm. actual suicide note. But no, no. 
We have to go through this whole shenanigans that Connor's just cuckoo banana pants because he wears black, has black fingernails. It's like, it's so, oh, it's so yeah, fucking frustrating. That was my, I just had a real issue with the way that Connor was portrayed because it, the rest of the film, people are talking about how fucked up he was and how he was trying, mm. but he's fucked up. But like, so you're violent. telling me that he found this letter and like, we're, tr we, they make him look so irrational in mm -hmm. that scene with Evan and it's like that come on and well, then he and then he's, this yeah, thing he's swinging this next... way and that he had a heroin problem like he do they even say that though like he went to rehab right. yeah, he went right, to right, rehab right. so I, yeah I'm definitely I guess but like he doesn't like they also like just the way that they actually like dressed him and did his makeup like he also seemed pretty normal <laughs> yeah. like yeah. I, I think that it's in order, in order for what this whole thing to have sort of humorous irony to it, you the Connor character has to actually be demonstrably a real piece of shit. Um, yes. And I went actually after watching this and I watched the movie uh, World's Greatest Dad, uh, mm -hmm. which is the Robin Williams film from 2009 that shares a lot of plot commonalities with Dear Evan Hansen. Written and directed by Bobcat Goldthwait. Right. Yes. And Daryl Sabara who you might remember as Junie from Spy Kids, plays uh, Robin Williams' son, who is just this pervert. He's he, such he's a the fucking worst. gross, wow. disgusting little freak. And he's horrible. His performance is so fucking good. It's so it's funny. It's so grating and yeah. so, like... I have to watch this. I want to show you something. Ooh, is that one being crapped on? Happy birthday. It's fucking German Scheiser porn. All right, dude, it's fucking hot, right, yo? Yeah, well, we're not in Europe, and I don't like that kind of stuff. Yeah, I know. It's because you're a fag. Dude, it's gross. I'd do it to someone. Oh. I would. I'd chili dogger. Because the yeah, whole time you're like... Do wow, this guy's a huge piece of shit. I hate him. I hope he dies. And then he does. <laughs> he does. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more too, uh, further along because, because it's a great, it's a great parallel to what this movie mm -hmm. is. And it has a, even though it's certainly not a perfect movie, it has a much better understanding of like what you can mine out of this situation. Yes. That's far more interesting. But yeah, yeah, so Connor Connor disappears. Evan thinks he's going to be bullied. Again, a, right. a big part of this is that this movie is mostly just subtracting. It's not really adding any new stuff to the story of Dear Evan Hansen or to the score of Dear Evan Hansen, right? Right. Is there even an Oscar song? Did they write a yes, new song? Yes, there is. It's called um, The Invisible Ones. That's the one where they the talk about... Ones. I'm sorry. Oh, we'll, we'll get okay. It's called The Anonymous so, Ones. So they... Um, but yeah, they, they don't... As a result, you get less of Connor and the Connor of the stage play. You're not missing out by having less of him, but you, yeah. you, you still in this movie want to have more of, you know, something different than what they came up with in the Broadway right. show. Well, because in the Broadway show, and this is an important thing to note, the character of Connor also serves as Evan's internal monologue, basically, yeah. a after ghost. he dies. Even though Evan already has an internal monologue in the form of his monologues. Right. And his and songs. of course, right. the songs in the musical. So at this point, Brendan, we've basically framed up everything that's going to happen before the big twist. Do you have any other thoughts about what what has happened up until this point so far? Were you just on the edge of your seat waiting to see what would happen next? I, I wrote down some notes here. And okay. I want to, I'm, I'm going to try to make them sound nicer. 
Um, <laughs> so the first thought that I had was walking into school during waving through a window. And this is partially not his fault, um, but he looked like a serial killer trying not to be seen. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. And part of it is because of the age thing. Evan part did, of it is, by the way, not the character who's no, maybe supposed to possibly be a serial killer. Who, yes, Evan yeah, he Hansen, looks very normal, actually. Um, yeah. He's doing this hunch. I, I get the character work to make him, but also it felt like he was hunching uh, for other reasons to feel like young and angsty and, mm-hmm. and shy. Uh-huh. Um, I also noted that that friend that that none of you like, I thought he was funnier and more natural. <laughs> Uh, than than Mr. Hansen. Oh yes, um, I, of course. I thought his like, I, are, what are the ages of the rest of the cast? Because that was confusing to me. I was trying to figure out if they were all they are all older, all in their early to mid twenties. Okay, okay, yeah, including um, actually Ben Platt himself, who is I believe twenty eight when he filmed this. It's, I, it's worth talking about Ben Platt. Yeah, I think it's time it, we talk it, about his Ben look. Platt. Yeah, before um, we get into like the rest, which yeah. is going to be a lot of plot, we should talk about Ben Platt and what they did. With yeah, him here. before the plot, yeah. let's get to the plot. Um, <laughs> he has been the locus of most of the hatred for this movie. Yes. And I will say, I think it's a little unfair. I think he more than shows why he should be the star of this show and this movie in his performance here, uh, regardless of how good the show or movie itself is. But he, they decided they made an insane decision as yes. they made this film that they needed to cast a bunch of people who looked like they could be in high school and right. Ben Platt, who just looks a little too old for it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you go to Greece, which is not a good movie, nor was it ever a good musical. It's a good and country. We like, everyone's yeah. old, right? They're like older than we are. They're in their 50s, but they're all in their 50s. Yeah. So who cares? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, because it's, yeah. it's all of one world. Yes, right. absolutely. It's like you watch Beverly Hills 90210 back in the day. They're all they're all elderly and it's fine because right. it's every single one of them. You're not pairing them up with like a 14 year old. Yeah, well, it's it's the same thing with uh, Euphoria, right? Like they, they none of them look like high schoolers, but it felt like they were doing a Pen 15 for Dear Evan Hansen. Yes. Oh, yeah, sure. Yes. It's true because Pen 15, the two leads are adults clearly adults surrounded dressing by kids. like dressing like not just teenagers but preteens yeah. surrounded by actual preteen but of, kids but of course that's the humor of the bit and whereas that's, that's with the this, joke it where with this it's even weirder though right because you've got ben they platt try to age him down yes the other yeah. principals are somewhere probably between like 23 to 25 but then a lot of the extras are actual teenagers so it right, just like right. makes it even yeah. weirder it, it, and yeah. the parents like julianne moore uh, like are not <laughs> quite old enough uh, if you're pairing them with Ben Platt, uh, yeah. I, yeah, like there's a moment where I thought uh, I was watching it with my girlfriend and we were both watching on the plane and we thought that they were going to kiss on the mouth. Um, <laughs> yeah, there, There's a very terrifying there's moment where strange, they almost do at the end of the movie. A strange kiss. Very worrisome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now I want to play Evan Hansen. But the casting, it's worth uh, noting that a lot of this casting decision and just in general, the whole Ben Platt thing is to do with the fact that Ben's dad Mark Platt put up a lot of the money to help make a lot of this happen. Yeah, I guess that's the yeah. other strange thing is like we have no one else from the Broadway cast. Right. It's it's pretty odd to have a, an adaptation of a musical where you get one person from the cast and no one else. It's, yeah. it's very, well, very strange. Like they could have if they wanted to. They could have uh-huh. brought back Mike Face. They didn't he, want to. he still yeah. looks pretty young. Like we saw him in West Side Story. Right, in West Side Story. Yeah. Yeah. But they they I mean, they clearly didn't want to or, right. you know. Mark Platt didn't want to. And they try to just compensate so hard. So like Evan doesn't hunch over on Broadway. Not really. No, Ben Platt Mm. doesn't hunch over as Evan, but he's, I mean, he's just constantly. Yeah. I mean, he looks, 
he looks like a, a Vogon or something in this. And <laughs> his, <laughs> And, so, and he he you know, he usually really bad usually, poetry in most yeah. of the the gigs that you see him in he his hair is either cut pretty fucking short or it's straightened to right. some degree and here it's his natural hair it's curly everyone's like what the fuck is this wig because it's cut kind of weird yeah yeah um well it's and, also yeah because like and a politician unimaginatively made the colors are bad the lighting is dull Everything is crushed contrast. It, it's, it's like a it's gray murder on the blob. skin tones. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, the director of this is Stephen Chabosky, who also wrote uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower and directed the movie adaptation of Perks of Being a mm-hmm. Wallflower. And it seems on paper that he would be an ideal person to take this script. But the until prob- you actually see those movies. Yeah. <laughs> until you see the movies. And he is such a like he wants it to be so realistic. And the Broadway show that it's based on is actually pretty abstract. Yes. It takes mm-hmm. place in like a social media black void. Yeah, it's it's largely in you, you get the sense that the show is happening in cyberspace, basically. Yeah, there are a yep. lot of there which you could do more easily in a movie. But like there are even scenes in this movie that on stage were in cyberspace and in the movie are face to face in person. Right. It's, it's not like yeah. for an example of someone doing this very well, you know, look at Bo Burnham's eighth grade. Um, this right, right. movie kind of throws the, the internet stuff kind of off to the side. Well, because it's already pretty dated. Like this came out, you right. know, you know, it first debuted in DC in 2015. And so even but, now there's stuff on Broadway that just is yeah. already Ancient. But the cumulative effect of all of this de-aging that they try to do with Ben Platt is they just make him look older. Yes. Look at yeah. him in The Politician. Yeah. Right, with, with other actors who are about the same age. And Ben Platt looks great there. Sure. He looks totally like he fits into a high school scenario there because um, he's supposed to be a senior anyway. Like he's not he's not like 14. Yeah, but here it, it's grotesque and it's very unfortunate and it's like it, it's just too bad and it's, it really doesn't reflect on Ben Platt's performance. Uh, it's not his fault. No, <laughs> it's no. just a, a very unfortunate circumstance. I have I mean, I have a theory about what happened in terms of like the dramaturgy of Ben Platt's thinking of how he portrayed Evan Hansen in the movie, because I also I saw him uh, in the stage show. He's doing so much more in the movie than he did on stage stage yeah, he's doing way mm-hmm. too much and the only thing the only conclusion i can come to is that uh evan hansen the character died in the woods and about 20 woodland creatures <laughs> crawled inside of his body ate him from the inside out and then began to puppet his body like a mech it's mm. like d'onofrio and men in black well, yeah, like- yep. <laughs> the puppeteering is interesting because i felt that that's what they were doing with the connor character in mm. the mm-hmm. the duo song which yes. let's get to that. Let's so, get to that duo song. so so Evan gets called into the principal's office. Yep. Yes. And he meets Connor's parents. Uh the mother is Amy Adams, the father is Danny Pino. Uh, Danny Pino. And it turns out Connor has killed himself. And all that he had on him in his pocket was a folded up note, right. which isn't signed Evan Hansen. It's addressed to Evan Hansen, but it ends with, you know, sincerely your best friend, your most which, yeah, your most again, dearest friend is stupid but yes it, it, this this is because the contrivance is necessary in order to forward the plot and so you so know they're besides like, themselves with yeah, grief uh it, both of them are also for some reason the way they shoot this the parents are talking straight into the camera it's like shot reverse shot but well, into they're, yeah, the camera. they're trying to heighten the anxiety really annoying um 
but heightening the contradictions. Ultimately, <laughs> they think that Connor wrote the letter to Evan. And so yeah. they're like, oh, you were his only friend. This is so nice. Yeah, we didn't even know he had friends. You know, he was always a troubled kid. This yeah, is and amazing. Evan, and Evan, for his part, is trying to deny it at first. He's just like, no, yeah. no, no. We, I mean, we really didn't know each other. And that's when Amy Adams spots on his cast the word Connor. Right. Which is huge. Which is it takes huge. up the whole cast. He wrote takes up the it whole cast. on the whole cast because maybe it was bullying? Question mark. Right. Hard yeah. to say. Well, that's the reason why Jared is only a family friend because they couldn't have had anyone else sign the cast. That's right. dramaturgically why that well, needed to and, happen. And Jared's a family friend because on stage stupid. you need someone for Evan to talk to. Right. But in a movie you maybe could skate by without it, but they weren't going to change that much. So, well, because they couldn't change the lyrics is the big thing. Like they couldn't change the songs and Jared's such a big part of sincerely me. So, so Evan lies. Yeah. And he says, yeah, we, we emailed each other. We, we were friends, you know, we hung out a little bit over this, the summer time. And well that, okay. So that's interesting because in the movie, it's Amy Adams being like, well, he had a secret email account, right, Evan? And in the musical, it's actually Evan like making up the lies as he goes yeah. and oh. is and actually furthering the plot. Like sure. he, But in this one, it seems like everything is just thrust upon. Oh, Evan had to do it. Don't you see them? The mom was like just pressuring him so right, much. It's, it's basically lie. putting a finger on his on the scale so that it doesn't feel as atrocious, I guess, which again, I think has the opposite effect. Like rather, rather than having a kid who is out of his element and starts lying because he has to instead, well, has to, I guess, you know, feels like he has to, uh, instead you end up seeing a kid who seems like a compulsive liar. Cause then what ends up happening is that the word starts to spread online that he was a friend, that Evan was fucking Connor's friend or whatever. So he decides to then go to dinner the par- at Connor's parents' house. At the Murphy's, yeah. The, the yeah. problem that I have is that it all feels like he's being pressured into saying yes, pressured right. into saying we were friends, pressured to coming to dinner, um, which it feels like the movie is trying to take the blame off him, but also assign the blame to mm-hmm. him. And it doesn't really take a stance. Right. And it, that, that really bothered me because yeah. a lot. then at this point uh, we have the next scene, which is him com- basically doubling down on the lie. Uh, mm-hmm. This time he does it by singing his feelings. An open field that's framed with trees. We pick a spot and shoot the breeze like buddies do. Quoting songs by our favorite bands, telling jokes no one understands except us two. And we talk and Take in the view. All we see is sky for forever. We let the world pass by for forever. Feels like we could go on for forever this way. Two friends on a perfect day. And again, yeah. this is another one of those great examples where. And Brian, I think for for yeah, like, it's the lyrics should be different. He the, yeah. the, and and musically he should be having to repeat. You know, he gets halfway like like what I'm doing right now, where right. he's talking. He stops. He yeah, he's goes totally back, back on himself, and you know, he and really he, really can't. You know, has to he has to really analyze everything you just said because if he says know, the wrong like, thing, you know, it might get his like how we talked about uh, the visit last week. Yeah, in in the scene where uh, Alfred or Anton in that version and Claire are sitting together, he's he asks questions in this very conversational way. He says, you know, you had, I mean, we had a child. 
that could be happening here, and, and of course, it, it doesn't. Evan, Evan has you this better natural uh, ability to speak perfectly, right. which should just factor into the plot at that right. point, right? Yeah. Like, he actually finds out that he has this amazing gift for lying. Yes. Yes. Which so is, becomes which is the a third. main I mean, feature of. Of, of World's Greatest Dad, because in World's mm-hmm. Greatest Dad, he tried to be an author. He couldn't cut it in the industry. Now he's a, a, a depressed English teacher. And when his son dies, he starts forging not only a suicide note, but this whole journal right. that oh, he wow. said his depressed son kept uh, before he killed himself. And everyone starts to read it and it becomes a bestseller. His son died of autoerotic asphyxiation. <laughs> he died jacking off and choking himself. <laughs> yes. It's a great movie. It's, it's a pretty yeah. good movie. It's, it's, a, it's a movie you will not fucking forget. That's yeah. what I'll say about it. Yeah. Um, I think that dealing with suicide requires a great deal of explicitness that Dear Evan Hansen is not willing to go into because it needs to be a PG-13 show, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. and so that means then that you can't really treat the situation with the gravity that it requires. And this is a problem throughout the movie, but yes. I, th- I think what's so interesting in this particular situation is, yeah, he starts singing, he sings this fucking song about the apple orchard. It was a beautiful day. Yeah, so he describes going to this apple orchard with Connor that is closed down. It hasn't been open for many years, but he says that, you know, they climbed up and it's this little pretty song that they sing for like the in memoriams for the Tony Awards or whatever. But And uh, then there's know. the next song where Evan together with his friend write this is this is the duet song right they they're, they're writing this series of yeah, false this is, letters this is the only moment where the movie in my opinion really comes to life yeah brendan yes yes i i yeah. loved the idea of this song i was like if the whole show had this much creativity mm-hmm. and fun and energy yeah. and energy and cynicism and like, and, and, and cynicism yes. because I think, you i mean the yeah. only thing that i didn't like was that it's really besides the end the only moment where we get to see connor sing anything mm-hmm. and it kind of feels mm-hmm. like they're just using his body as a puppet and um i didn't it just really felt icky to me but if the whole show were like that that would be different that would be um right there would be if a sincerity an in icky that show yeah. yes and they you know they do that thing that you were just talking about where like this they start saying something and then they go back and they mm-hmm. rewrite it and they start over again and if that was dealt if they dealt with evan's yeah, it's anxiety very creative in the same composition way. and it's not really what you ever see in anything else that pasek and paul write and it's the in only, any of their compositions it's the only yeah. moment of, of comedic anything yeah yeah in in this the, the whole show is so fucking serious and takes itself so seriously as every song does that i was just like why isn't there more of this? Yeah, they're creating their friendship. So they're putting right. words into Connor's mouth. There are these great like this is also like the the photography gets so much better. The cross cutting gets so much better because yes. they'll yeah. put Evan and Connor into these sort of parallel compositions where like one is walking down the hallway. One is walking through the library. Yeah. You know, they're driving these fucking go karts. One starts dancing, you know, it, it, there's this syncopation to their own like relationship to each other when they occupy the same space. Well, I also really liked it's how fa- it's fantastic um, there when when the different edits are made to the script uh, that they are writing out the letter for. He comes to the door. If I stop smoking drugs and everything might be all right. Smoking drugs. Just fix it. And then he comes to the door again. If I stop smoking crack. And then he comes to the door again. If I stop smoking pot, then everything might be all right. And and there's the constant fear of like, oh no, this we keep we keep walking up to this line of making it sound really gay. Dear Evan Hansen, we've been way too out of touch. 
Things have been crazy, and it sucks that we don't talk that much. But I should tell you that I think of you each night. I rub my nipples and start moaning with delight. Why would you write that? I'm just trying to make it erotic. Look, if you can't take this seriously, oh, calm yourself, honey. Which is funnier if the friend is a huge homophobe. Exactly. What's weird about the movie is it seems like they have taken all the criticism of the stage show and then learned every wrong lesson from it. Mm. They were like, oh, you could actually like make this show grosser and darker so it would justify some of these lyrics, but instead, let's just cut it and then make it like this weird half measure. This movie is full of hash half so measures. So in this next scene, all of that stuff that we said worked so well in these fake letter writing mm. sessions. Yes. They do another scene where we're cross-cutting between members of the family right. talking oh. about their memories of Connor and dealing with the fallout of his death. Is and this, nothing, nothing of this works. This is the Requiem. This is the Requiem. The requiem. They say they won't sing, but they do. Yeah. Anyway. And they, they sing yes. the whole fucking Requiem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> This is the, I would say, the Hillsongification of musical theater. So if you listen to any contemporary Christian radio, you will hear something by Hillsong. There's like these swelling strings and synthesizers that play into the thing and it's constantly ascending. It's always mm -hmm. going up. It never goes down. It only goes up because if it goes up, it makes you feel something. Hazek and Paul start running out of tunes at this point. Yes. And yep. all, everything that follows is either sort of like a weird recitative or it sounds like a praise song. And I think it's a really dirty trick because this is the way that you can manipulate somebody's emotions is you make them think that you are not manipulating them and then you do it. When I said the whole thing feels manipulative yeah. or musically manipulative, there are yeah. certain chords that if you play them, uh, you can make you could play it over a Looney Tunes sh short and you could get people to feel something. Yeah. And I feel like every four <laughs> bars of every song in this show, besides that duet b between Connor and Evan, do the same exact thing. It's these mm -hmm. like sort of bittersweet chords that resolve and in, into each other. And it's all very uh, sneaky because you don't need to do anything. And the right. only thing you need to do is maybe twist one lyric. Yes, it hits all it hits all the same piece. The variety of songs in the show is um, you have uh, Evan's soliloquy. You have Sincerely Me, which is I feel is like the oddball song out. It's the only comedy number in the show. And then you have stuff like this where it just sits there like a dead fish. Yeah, I mean, this is the lesson from Next to Normal, which also mm. runs out of tunes about 15 minutes in. Yeah. And is in an even worse place because that's a sung through musical. Almost uh, entirely. Dear Evan yeah. Hansen at least has dialogue in it. Thank Christ. But um, <laughs> next to normal just is constantly that kind of building. Like we we don't we don't have anything left anymore. We cut the song about Costco, and uh, so we're just gonna. <laughs> 
I'm going to have songs about feeling bad. Yep. Because what if mental illness is just in your soul? Yeah, man. man. Oh, God. You know, once we conclude this, I will sing No Requiem, which they sing. Uh, Some more plot happens. Somebody at school is interested in making a memorial to Connor. Uh, Evan's mom, we learn, isn't really there for him very often because she has to work too much. There's like His a whole class to Colorado with <laughs> apparently a cocktail waitress. Yep. Because that's a thing that still exists. And then we get a number that made my hair want to actively crawl off of my body. Let's go. If are I we, could tell we, her, we're on. If I could if tell I her, could baby. tell her. This is the number where Evan ends up going over to Zoe's house, the Murphy house. And, yes. um, She's like, oh, but my brother, I wish he noticed. I wish he ever like actually cared about me. And he's like, and, and, and Evan's like, well, actually, your brother noticed a lot of things about you. <laughs> Would you like to hear more about the things that your brother liked about you? Yeah, they just had this song where he's like trying to describe a normal friendship and they keep realizing how gay it sounds. And then he just starts talking about how her brother found her sexually attractive. Yes, it's great. Yeah. I, this I, is the creepiest part, I think, of the whole thing. It, because if you were a normal person listening to the lyrics that are coming out of that person's mouth, you would find a lot of things very questionable. You would be very, it. very like, worried. Yeah, they they, yeah. they actually they unvague themselves and that for a minute they get really specific about how yeah. he feels. He said, there's nothing like your smile, sort of subtle and perfect and real. He said, you never knew how wonderful that smile could make someone feel. Whenever you get bored, you scribble stars on the cuffs of your jeans. <laughs> and he noticed that you still fill out the quizzes that they put in those teen magazines. The, the Murphys are in a TikTok influencer house. Yeah, you just have to understand that this this is how the other half Brian, lives. it's a content house. <laughs> it is a content house. There's like, no one lives in this home. Which, which is funny because like the original Dear Evan Hansen is really a, a product of Tumblr, right? It's yes. Tumblr psychology. We'll get into that a little bit more. It's Tumblr psychology. It's Tumblr relationships. And you can see the like the continued sort of Tumblrization of being like, well, what if the homophobic friend is now a gay person of right. color right. instead of uh, a homophobic white, white guy? But again, like um, just, just to bring it back to this song. Yeah. I, I mean, mm-hmm. my note on here was... I, in all caps, by the way, I hate this so much, so fucking much. Fuck. I mean, the 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 amount yeah. of bile that rose in my throat as I was watching this horrible manipulation occur. It's like at, at this point already, I'm like this Evan Hansen kid. I would like to see him die. I'd be perfectly happy with that. Uh, what Evan Hansen wants in this show is sort of threefold, right? He wants to be. Uh, noticed by somebody. Finally, yeah. he wants somebody to finally notice him. He. Uh, he wants Zoe Murphy uh, and uh, he wants his dad's love. Yes. Question mark. The, the dad who we also never see. And the Zoe Murphy stuff is where things get really fucked up. And it's where it pushes him into absolutely like villain territory. It's sociopathic. Again, if it yeah. leans yeah. into it. We're in great shape. Absolutely. But a lot would have to change musically for that Absolutely. to come across. But that yes. would make it more interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, it would just be the opposite. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't sound sincere. There's a lot of things that you can do musically to convey 
that kind of troubled uh, deceit. And you don't need to make him look like a total villain, but you can't make him look innocent like everything's just happening to him. And because he's so shy, because he's so nervous, he's going to lie now yeah. and he's going to lie. But it's going to be sweet because when we hear the music, we're like, oh, what a sweetheart. He's just so. In yes, he's just really in it. Oh, he really put his foot in it. Oh. Yeah, but what about <laughs> the nice guys, Brendan? What about the nice guys? Oh, you know? He's literally That's, neurodivergent and a minor. <laughs> it's, it's just not. It's not fair. It's not fair. It, that's what I kept thinking is this musical is not fair. It's not fair to the, to the people who really do struggle with depression. Mm -hmm. It's not fair to young people who have these conflicting emotions because we're painting it in a light that it shouldn't be painted in. Um, we really need to get into the murk of it. And it's it's almost like they built a show for teenagers, but also the parents of teenagers mm -hmm. so that the parents would be like, Oh, like I hear how sweet this is, how mm. how they're going through so much. The music is telling me that like it's it's just so much for these kids to bear. Like we really need to do better for them. And it's just not how it really works. I will not. But I wanted to see this in a theater with a bunch of fans because uh, I, I saw don't... it yesterday. Would you like to know what that's like? <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Yeah, because it just it, it, it made me feel like what? The whole time I was thinking, what the fuck am I supposed to be thinking? And I know that's not what they intended. Uh, the way that it's intended, I think, is that he's getting he's progressively breaking more and more bad, especially in the stage show like it there in the script. It also explicitly calls out that, like, there's some really fucked up behavior that he's participating in. But it is that he bumbles into it like. Uh, a neurodivergent Mr. Magoo like he just kind of like stumbles head first into oh isn't it wacky you know he's you could also do that you can do that and have like one note that doesn't quite fit playing sure. underneath the song yeah it, well and that's changes the, interesting, the tone of it that's the interesting thing is like the musical plays more for laughs than the movie does for sure yeah but it still doesn't go into that line of like actually what's happening right now is so incredibly fucked up it's sort of like it's expecting you to have the same sort of suspension of disbelief that you do watching like a sex farce or a romantic comedy where it's like oh these characters have gotten into a situation by telling it an absolutely like horrible lie like uh, i don't know like uh how to lose a guy in 10 days it's like no one right. could ever have a relationship after this moment. It's sociopathic right. behavior. Yes. But you're watching it because it's just sort of a silly way to set up some fun jokes and you still want them to end up together at the end. And I think Where, that's what they and want. That's what they're trying to do with with Dear Evan Hansen is like well, he's doing some bad stuff. But, you know, that's just to fit into a plot. We're about to start the Connor Project because Evan meets up Which, with fucking what's her name? The, Alana. Alana. Thank you. One of the anonymous ones. And she yeah, uh, she, she wants song, to create apparently. this mental health support group I guess called the Connor project and then there's which this is just like so they're they're directly referencing the Trevor right. project which is specifically about you know gay teenagers who were killing themselves no this yes. is just about like uh, general teenagers <laughs> who feel sad sometimes but then it's just about yeah. like getting the orchard open again right. it is exclusively <laughs> it's, it's about opening an orchard very for weird. a place that we have no proof that Connor felt anything about and like, then no, no, he, he says he that's, loves it like that's, that's part of the what could again be kind of a fun gag yeah. yeah I I thought a potential fun gag that they missed and it, it just it during the anonymous ones, I wrote down, so is every song just sad and painful yes. besides the one where mm -hmm. they puppeteer the dead yep. boy's body? Correct. Now um, now our bodies are the anonymous be because ones. <laughs> I, I felt like there was this moment, there's this moment that they probably, maybe they tried writing a song about it, where they like, they're like, yeah, what are, what are you on? 
And he's like, Lexapro. It's <laughs> the worst. And she's like, me too. And I'm. I, By I, the way, I just just for our listeners, yeah, they probably home, wrote it, and it turned out being like identical to my psychopharmacologist and I. And so they're like, oh yeah. fuck, we can't use well, this. It's almost I, exactly I truly, the guilty ones from Spring Awakening. I, 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 just, I just want to make one thing very very clear here, which is Brendan is in no way, shape, or form exaggerating those deliveries of those lines. That is exactly mm-hmm. yeah. what they sound like when they're and saying. I'm also it. on, on those medications, so. so I'm not making fun of anyone who's like right. comparing like what medicine are you on, bro? But yeah. like, if you're like. They, they kind of it it just it was all so sincere that you could have actually built some like joy into it and built some humor into yes. it and maybe even done something musically with it. And instead you get another bunch of manipulative chords coming in yep. and she sings this very random song. You ever look at all the people who seem to know exactly how to be? In the movie, it's Alana's idea to start the Connor project, and Evan's like, "Oh, I guess I'll be a part yeah, of it." Yeah, it makes him yet, yet another example of him just being a passive observer a who just gets pulled into shit. Yeah, they victimize him. Yeah. I think that's where yeah. it, it, it really it it starts to. Which really again, get me. that's also an angle for a very good show yes, about someone it. who just becomes like this weird tool of some sort of like larger fundraising complex. Yes, but, but lean into that and yeah. write some more that. plot happens. Yep. Um, the a, memorial uh, service. Evan Hansen is standing on a fucking stage Ooh. in front of a large group of people <laughs> well, delivering he up a speech. He falls over. Oh, he He's gets so, so nervous that he falls over. And knocks everything down. He goes through his note cards. He gets lost. It's he goes awful. back to the beginning. You've got he does every single cliche of when somebody goes up to give a speech and is having trouble getting their words out. Like, yeah. every, so like they threw the fucking kitchen sink that? at it. Yes. Like, yes, couldn't you right. musicalize that? Yes. Like, that would be really fucking great. Yeah, but, but instead, instead the, the only moment that we get, which we never actually hear what his speech was, is because there's no way that people recorded five minutes of him singing up there. I want to know what he actually said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, well, so yeah, it turns into a glee scene. Yep. Uh, Leah Michelle sure comes does. out from the curtains and there's a camera that does a 360 <laughs> turn around her. So he delivers this speech. He's on the ground and he's about to stand up. He's like, you know what? Fuck the speech. I'm going to speak for my heart. You speak and he's recording him. Yeah, like you're saying, with this speech, like clearly he becomes very, very good at talking and that should be an factored into the show because everyone hears what he has to say off the cuff and it it creates a hashtag even when the dark comes crashing through when you need a friend to carry you and when you're broken on the ground you will be found so let the sun come streaming in because you'll reach up and you'll rise again lift your head and look around you will be found. A YouTube video takes off with the title His Best Friend Died dot dot dot. You won't believe what he did next. <laughs> All of a sudden, uh, the Connor Project's Facebook page is getting like yep. so many more hits and so many more views and Evan's like, what happened? And then Amy Adams turns to him and tears in her eyes. She says, you did. Yeah. And the music swells. There's a place to hear this. A B-
beautiful tribute. Favorite, I know someone who really needed to hear this today. So thank you, Evan Hansen, for doing what you're doing. I never met you, Connor, but coming on here, reading everyone's posts, it's so easy to feel alone, but Evan is exactly right. We're not alone. None of We're us. not alone. None of us. None of us. None of us are alone. Like. Well, especially now, with everything you hear in the news. Like, share, repost. Oh. Thank you, Evan Hansen, for giving us a space to remember Connor. To be together. To find each other. Sending prayers from Michigan. Vermont. Damn. Sacramento. Thank you. Evan Hansen. Repost. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Musically, it's all very catchy. Yeah. Um, yes. Which is which is what they do best in this is that they create something insanely catchy, and it's this the the lyrics are so sincere, but it comes from such a place of insincerity right. that it yes. drives me up the fucking wall, and I don't know how it's the anthem for the show because I had heard this song and thought it was the most genuine thing ever outside the uh, the context right. of the show. You hear like you will be found, you'll be found, but you. It's not fair that the that the anthem for te- like the equivalent of it gets better gets to come out of the mouth of this asshole. Yeah. Well, it would be like I don't. It would be like if someone treated Sweeney Todd as though it was a show about pretty women, you know, and like they use that song as the core of it when that's a song sung by a pedophile and the guy who's about to cut his throat open. Right. You know, it's that's incredible. Well, let me like they want to have it both ways with this thing. I'd also like to add one more piece to that, too, which is that I think that a big part of the reason that it feels so um, dissonant, dissonant. Yeah. Not literally dissonant. No, of course. no, yeah, it's, not it's literally it's the least. It's we, the first we could never have that. There's no musical dissonance whatsoever. Yeah. But I think the reason that it feels so weirdly out of place and dissonant is that uh, Connor wasn't found. He fucking died. Yeah. And so it, yeah. it, it doesn't make sense for this to be a redemptive message about how it gets better, because for Connor, it didn't get better. Nothing about this is a good or uplifting situation, actually. It's just deeply fucked up. It's deeply yeah. sad. Sometimes people are so depressed, it, question mark, that they kill themselves. And you have to reckon with that fact. And to and, simply and this spin is an it, interesting. This is an interesting case where I think even... Like, again, if the show had been more clever about what it is and what it and, and understanding of what it's doing in this plot right now, I think this song could play exactly the same way. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. What had been building in my uh, inner life watching this was that you've used this young man's suicide as a major plot point, yeah. but you have that's it. You've used him. You've used him at uh, the 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 smallest level you could have. Yeah, yeah. And then you get to this song, you will be found. And it's profoundly unfair to the idea of who Connor could have been mm-hmm. the character that he could have been. Uh, because the only thing we've really done until the end for a second is do a funny number with uh, another idea about him, but not mm-hmm. who he actually was. Right. And in the musical at the end of you will be found. Yeah, This is the act break, right? This is the act break. Zoe approaches uh, Evan and says, you gave me my brother back and she kisses him and he pulls away. And in the in the stage directions, it says Evan knows that this is a moment of no return. And he gives in and kisses her back and the lights go out. Now, 
when I saw it with a crowd of like super fans of Dear Evan Hansen, they kiss, the crowd went fucking wild. It was like, <laughs> finally they got together. Yeah, yeah. smoocher, good. Yeah. That's the act break. So we're going to go into our commercial break. And actually, I have some very exciting news about the commercial break. Um, in my research for this episode, I was able to find previous drafts of Dear Evan Hansen. I am not looking forward to this. And uh, fuck you. and God so there are a couple it. bonus tracks that they've released as part of the deluxe edition, right? A there's couple? one, yeah. There's one called Obvious, which was in place of uh, If I Could Tell Her, which is another sort of like you know, uh, Hanson declaring his love without declaring his love thing uh, to Zoe. Uh, there's also a song called In the Bedroom Down the Hall, which seems to have been like a first replacement for the opening song. Um, Does anybody have a map? Uh, which is about how to deal with like angsty teenagers sung by the two moms. Um, this one is actually a a different version of waving through a window no it's not uh, from a from a from a, probably the first draft of the show no, when it was not. a lot more that's, cynical that's not what this is that's and, not what this is going to be and uh what i will say about it is that it just it makes evan hansen's uh-huh. motivations uh-huh. much more explicit is that what it does okay yeah. cool i can't wait to hear it next I've learned to salt all the earth Before I even plant the seeds Before they know what I'm worth Before they rip me up like the weeds I've got a secret inside Something deep that's starting to stir It's something I have to hide It's something you can infer Branch out, branch out in the sun if you want Branch out, branch out in the sun Because you're wood, because you're wood On the outside, staring at the ground Making all the noise since nobody's around As you grow, grow, grow into the grass I'm weeping like a willow I scream it out if my tree voice would allow That I want some birds perching on my perky boughs As they shit, shit, shit as people pass I'm weeping like a willow I want to be a tree I've got so many squirrels inside of me We start with skin on our thighs We start to visit our favorite park But you photosynthesize And now your skin's feeling more like bark Branch out, branch out in the sun If you wanna take root Branch out, branch out in the sun If you feel like root I feel like root On the outside having such a ball Cause I get to be nude each and every fall as those cold cold winds begin to blow i'm weeping like a willow i'd want to live on a green grassy knoll and i'd have a squirrel in each and every hole lumberjacks would be my greatest foe i'm weeping like a willow can anybody see the sheer amount of squirrels in? If you're finding yourself tired of this foresight motif, then I think you should probably make like a tree and leaf. 
you're finding yourself tired of this forest light motif that I think you should probably make like a tree and leaf. You're finding yourself tired of this forest light motif that I think you should probably make like a tree and leaf. You're finding yourself tired of this forest light motif that I think you should probably make like a tree and leaf. Will you all just fucking leave? I want you all to leave. It's like all I want are leaves. God, please give me some leaves. On the inside, always looking out I'm just hoping all my baby twins will sprout Like a re-reverse Pinocchio I'm weeping like a willow I truly think it would be so confined Just to live my life as a cedar ogre pine Let my sap, sap, sap begin to flow I'm weeping like a willow can everybody see? I've got so many squirrels inside of me. Oh, the squirrels are nodding. They're fucking nodding. Whoa. Josh and I were talking about this last night, talking about just how... Again, how there are so many good ideas here, if you're a person who is not any of the people who made this show, um, like how well the basic plot of this would work as an Always Sunny episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It felt like, like uh, an, it should have been an elongated SNL skit. Yeah, like the gang exploits the death of a teenager. It, it's yeah. We were talking, yeah, we were talking, I mean, if you're sitting on her dead brother's ba- bed, she'll have to kiss you. Because yeah, of the implications. Of the implications. I mean, should I turn yeah. my AC off now? Or are we are we going again? Yeah, go ahead and turn it off. Yeah. Um, unless you need it, and then keep it running. Who cares? Yeah, who cares? No. Everyone, everyone, everyone who listening, cares? all listeners, we love you. It's fucking hot as fuck it's hot this as weekend. We just like some sort of bizarre heat wave. It was sixty on Friday, and then it's been like almost ninety both yesterday and today. Even yesterday morning, it was like foggy and not even 70 degrees. And then it just went in the always sunny episode where they exploit a teenager's suicide. Basically, what would happen is the gang would at Patty's create a the Connor Project type situation. Right. Um, And Dennis would use it to try to hit on teenagers. Charlie would actually get like really into it emotionally. Um, yeah, he'd get he'd get very invested in the dead teenager. He, he'd like go over the top, knew. like yeah. preparing a eulogy speech for the teenager he'd never met, and he would yeah. end up. Yeah, I wanted to be good. I wanted to be a good eulogy. And he'd end up being. He'd end up getting into a competition with D about it, about like who could write the more moving eulogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, it's it written be... out, so it would be like him dead happen makes sad me, <laughs> makes sad really me. And then I don't but know. But then it would still still end up being you will be found. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Imagine uh, oh my god, then, imagine the cast of Always Sunny singing You Will Be Found. Well, it's also it's also Max. Here's the thing, they it. did the whiz. They could do this I too. Know. Yeah. Oh. yeah. We're now at the beginning of what is basically the second act of the musical, right? And as yes. this whole show just turns into slush at this yeah, point. It really does. Like it loses Evan has to get his cast off. Yeah. It loses its cast. That, right, because this show takes place over the course of an entire year. Yeah. And for it, some reason. It's really remarkable, like how structurally confusing it becomes like first scene that we have here is we're at a meeting of the connor project they're like getting together the funds to fucking open the orchard or whatever a hundred thousand dollars joke it's such a weird they call it the fucking connor project 
And, 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 the, and, they, and they don't do play that as a joke. Yeah. yeah. In my note here, actually, to that exact point, uh, was it would be so funny if it were just played as a, the blackest of all possible comedies. All of these teens who didn't know this kid pretending that he was the greatest kid ever and like wanting to do something in his memory. Like, that's funny, but it can't commit. It just has this weird, like, tonal issue that it never yeah. resolves. And Evan actually even ends up getting a father figure in Zoe's dad or Zoe's stepdad because, you yes. know, Evan's own dad. Uh, left him. There's a lot of early justification and then there's one like big justification at the end that we're supposed to say like, okay, that's why he did this. Okay, everything's fine. Like he was just struggling. Right. Uh, but I, it's just like that is also not fair. <laughs> it's not that kind of shitty justification to to loop an audience in uh, is extremely, extremely manipulative. I feel like that is, it's like yeah. 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 No. And also, uh, speaking of like just like details getting like mired down in details, the the dad scene I think is one of the most interesting ones, mm. be, uh, most inexplicable changes from the source material because in the original musical, he's just their dad. He's he's not the stepdad. Oh, they added this whole stepdad thing just oh, wow. because they sure did. Well, because he originally had a song called "To Break in a Glove," which is the worst song in the show by far and away. And it's here's a, the thing that dads love. Playing catch, <laughs> catch with their kids. It's it, it is truly like it's the plot equivalent of like the Bo Burnham pop song where it's like I love your eyes and their bluish brownish greenish color. It's so vague. It's like oh I don't know what dad's like. Dad's like baseball. Right. But dad's fucking in there. Again, it's, a better show would have done, Evan Hansen fuck this guy's dad. Oh, that would absolutely. Be so funny. Oh, Are you kidding me? Incredible. <laughs> this is so extra, but ultimately what it does, I guess is it shows that Evan is now becoming more and more connected with Connor's family. And the very next scene that ends up happening is Zoe just decides to come over to his house and goes up to his bedroom and is very clearly wanting to like fuck now. And I wanted to say something about this, which is mm. I found it very upsetting because even though Ben Platt and Caitlin Dever are, I think chronologically like three years apart from each other, they yes. look yeah, to be a decade yeah. apart from each other yeah, in this like movie. He's an adult. It's not good, yeah. guys. You're, yeah. you're much too large and much too sweaty and much too old to be in the same room as this actual girl. She's not sweaty enough. I mean, honestly. <laughs> yeah. There's a real. There's a, a real. We should really sweat him up. Like you problem. know, they're gonna yeah, be in a room together. We should really sweat him up. With the distribution of sweat. This is the part in my notes where I said the show should just be called Evans and Asshole. Um, yes, we dear Evans asshole. Dear Evans asshole. <laughs> it's the second, also the second time I wrote. He looks like an adult. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just super creepy. He and looks older than us. Yes, than yes. All of us. I was shocked yeah. when I looked and up younger. and I found out that he's younger than me. I was like, this guy's got to be like yeah, thirty-five. No, they did him so and dirty also, in this Paul, one. Part of it is like, get her an apple box to stand on. Like, just <laughs> do something. He's hunching to... over and still he's towering <laughs> over her. Uh, that that's not you know that's not the right fault like that's not his fault it's just no it's no it's, it's his dad's it's, it's, fault. it's Ben Platt's <laughs> dad's it's fault it's Mark Platt's fault yeah Mark thank truly... you for producing the Josie and the Pussycats movie yeah we will be forever grateful for that honestly yeah. it was just another moment where I was just like this can't be happening like this can't, <laughs> this can't I know it, felt, it feels like a fever dream almost doesn't it it's just like yeah the whole time I'm imagining the audience receiving this and loving it and being like yes yes they're, they 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 they're meant for each other like they yes. love each other well and that's uh, and how the also song like, you're is like 17 like right like yeah they are 17 yeah and this yeah. felt like the most 
like stereotypical like high school musical song. Yeah. And again, like super, super like she's basically said something really important, which is, can we please stop talking about my dead brother? Yeah. And also, I love you now for reasons. Yeah. And then they just start saying, well, okay, I guess we can just talk about us. (laughs) Only us. We've been talking about just how how passive Evan is in this movie. She she has no agency at all. She does nothing. She has yeah. nothing animating her. No drive. Whereas when she could, has there's 20 so much happening. Animating yeah, him I mean, from the inside. Because you have this girl dealing with the death of a brother who she's honestly like better off not having right. him around. Yes. And that's that's worth like they've established that that's that's in the, the context of this this movie and they could just run with it and they choose that to another thing that really I just can't get over. I was like, stop fucking with these people's grief, mm-hmm. like let them have the feelings that they're going to have about their son, oh. their brother, like it. Just like his like, well, no, he must have been amazing. Like he must have there. Like, just don't fuck with people's grief. Oh, Brandon, and- though. But they wanted it. <laughs> he says at one point, it's almost like they needed me to keep lying. Tierman Hansen is the blurred lines of musical theater. Oh, God. It was it's just so frustrating. Everybody needed so... the lie. It fixes their marriage. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Well, yeah. And where it ends up taking them after that, too, with, you know, their fixed marriage and everything is that he has saved the Bethesda, Maryland <laughs> Apple industry. He so then there's one farmer who's like, I got my land back. Some kid killed himself and now I got a whole orchard. Zoe and Connor's family then invite Evan's mom over along with Evan to tell them that they are going to give Connor's college tuition money that they had saved up for him to Evan instead because he's such a good boy. Oh, right. right. It's another big th- twist of the That's the other knife. thing is like the Murphys are rich, the Hansons are poor. Right. Again, the, the Danish continue to struggle in America Although to honestly, this day. Evan's mm-hmm. house is pretty and, nice. Like it, it, yeah. it's not Evan's a... fine. Well, it's, it's one of those things where... He was they they were okay until his dad right left. right and then and mom got now the house out of the divorce like or whatever precarity right but like so they they see that and they see that he's like submitting to these essay writing competitions to get money for school and so they decide yeah we're just gonna give him that money and of course his mom knows that all of this is bullshit right Evan has also told her that he's not going to the therapist anymore yeah oh and he again, stopped taking his yes, medication we, we could we could have seen the therapist at some point in all of this to make this clear it's a movie but no uh, and, and and so when. They tell when when Amy Adams and fucking the other guy <laughs> tell Julianne Moore that that money is going to go to her son. She fucking acts her face off, dude. She's so good in this scene. Yeah, Julianne Moore deserves more than this fucking movie. Yes, she is does. What I will say, yeah. and she's gotten it in other movies. It's just yeah, she's and fine. she deserves much better than the song that they gave Absolutely. her. Absolutely, she doesn't oh even God. qualify as a song. But yeah. she, I, I, I do point, need to mention uh, at this. This movie does all of the singing live. Yes, right. So this is part of the weird dissonance of everything. Is where you have. Evan Hansen singing this belt your face off song mm-hmm. about how he's shy. It, it, you know, it's like Once Upon a Mattress, right? I've always been shy. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah. here he's singing it live. So you still have to see him do 
Which, like, why are we still doing this with movies? Why are we doing the fucking Tom like, Hooper. live singing on set? It's Tom it's Hooper. Like, it made sense when it was Richard Harris and Rex Harrison because they had to talk for most of it, or Deborah Carr. But, like, it doesn't... We don't need to be doing that with these elaborate mu- movie musicals with these insane shooting schedules where everyone has to be singing full out yeah. every single time. Like, yeah, sure, Hugh Jackman can do it, but Hugh Jackman's not a human being. Yeah, like, but at some also, point, you have to understand, he's just like a different species. Yeah, but I also... I also think that that the Les Mis movie ruins what makes a lot of the songs good because Absolutely, they just putting arbitrary bullshit stopping here and there. So the rhythms are completely off. The drive of the, the show is lost. Yeah, the Les Mis musical is not gritty. It's synthy and artificial, and so is Dear Evan Hansen. So you're better off recording in the studio first, especially for Julianne Moore, who's just basically like speak sobbing yeah. through the song. Julianne Moore acting her face off declines the offer goes outside with evan evan's like mom uh." and um that's basically that hardest working woman in hollywood please give her a round of applause and meanwhile alana uh who is the girl who started the connor project has started putting together the pieces about what's really going on she comes up to uh, to evan and is like were you really like his friend like really for real and she ends up making the decision to post the original well, Evan proves that he actually was Connor's friend because right. somehow in all of this, no one actually knew that Evan got the suicide right. note. Right. Which, again, is not what, a suicide note. That's it's, what sort of launched this whole thing. Right. But no one knew about that, I guess. And so he's like, here, I haven't shown this. to any-. He's been releasing other emails, like yes. the other fake emails, right. but he just didn't release this one, which I don't know, maybe the movie or the musical could have made a little bit clearer. So then he shows her the note. He he airdrops it to her. Right. Which again, this doesn't work if they're in the same room because he could just show her his phone. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. And, musical, that, and that way she wouldn't it. have yeah. it. Like, right. he's like, hey, he you airdrops can read it, it and it's Because he wants to prove just how legit he is. Again, it shows how awful he is and something that's yep. that's better than this could have done gotten more mileage out of it. And she makes and, the extremely strange and questionable decision to post that letter to the connor project instagram page in order yeah. to get them to their fundraising threshold get, get more money yeah. for the the kickstarter because even this though you sense. will be found became a national movement and got like tv press and shit yeah uh they still don't have enough money to save the orchard yeah they're yeah. at seventy five thousand. they need a hundred thousand and it's and not even she, a kickstarter like there's no in, in the musical there's a ticking clock because the kickstarter is yeah. going to run out they're not going to get all their funding if they don't get 100%, but because this is just hosted on a website, like, there's no timeline, right. Yeah, really. this is the Walter White Cancer Recovery Fund that <laughs> Walter Jr. made. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> and they haven't called it Bob Odenkirk to, to goose the numbers. None but, of like, this makes sense. I just, yeah, I just so want to, posts, to underscore just how nonsensical this is. The note, the, the that note from the beginning that is thought to be the suicide note, she the posts that online, and then everyone starts to bully the parents right. because they're like, how... How they must have been a terrible family because he wrote his suicide note to his friend instead. Which and also doesn't in the make sense. That, no, there's nothing in the letter that damns the family at all. No. Like no. there's nothing there saying I hate my parents. Um, it says he doesn't understand his sister, but I mean, yeah. why would you take that to be like let's get our pitchforks and dox these people? Which they do. They end up but doxing like, the Murphys. That could have been just fixed in like tweaking the letter a little bit. Right, right. Like, and my family, ugh, just like ugh, right, my family. Right, because Evan yeah. has a bad relationship with his dad, right. yes. who left. Right. And they could have had something in there. 
there. Because how could that something that vague? It's that nonsense. Yeah. So the family's life gets ruined. My question is, how did Alana put it together before Evan's mom? Because she knew the timeline of when right. and the whole thing is the timeline of, well, you didn't have a cast in like in June until when you said September. that you went to the orchard and then you had yes. a cast in September. You just had a so cast for three months. How does Julianne Moore not put that together before Alana? I she's don't not she's that. not reading the emails or the letters because she actually doesn't know that he even yeah, knew she's, Connor. She's working so much that she is only getting like the vaguest information about what's but going on. They have on. a right. conversation. They have a conversation yeah. where he's like, no, he took me to the right oh, but that's, the that's after they ah, meet no. with yeah no no, no, no but right. you're right brendan because the yeah. more specific and the more realistic you get in this show the more you make it that realistic the more confusing it gets right. because it actually doesn't really make sense in a realistic terms like when you see it on stage you can forgive it because time is passing there's a lot of like other shit going on so you're distracted from it but when you put it in these very realistic terms in the, like the yeah. confines of this movie it falls apart entirely. Yeah. I think I think that's a good point, though, about like the difference between the stage versus the screen is that when you are putting something up on stage, you can be forgiven for a lot more due to the fact yeah. that the stage allows you to fill in the blanks in a way that film does not. Yeah. Film requires that the choices that you make be reasonably explicit and reasonably literal, whereas in stage, you have the ability to create something that can hit different people in different ways and each of those different interpretations with the information that you fill into the blanks from your own personal lived experience regardless of you know what you pull in those different interpretations can be seen as equally valid that's not the case right. with movies so yeah. yeah evan evan ends up going to the murphy house like he did he just mostly spends his time there now fucking the dad and <laughs> keep fucking and the that whole man. the whole family That's is like how you break in a glove is, is falling <laughs> apart. They're like falling apart overnight. They're in worse shape than they were when Connor killed himself. Yeah. Yes. They're it, it's a catastrophe. And he finally this is when he admits that he wrote the letter and that he had lied about everything. And he sings a song called Words Fail. He says words fail, so right. I won't say anything. Right. And then he does. And then he keeps and then he singing. Keeps like he just keeps going. It's like that <laughs> I will sing no requiem, but you do. And it's this whole, I really thought that that could have just been like a three sentence speech. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and because what, yeah, what, what does it do musically? Nothing. It's, it's a bumbling rambling song, which you could have had those earlier in the show and have been it would have been really effective you know like a pattern right. song oh, or like, like a that. return to it like so if you yes. start with patter songs and he gets more confident when words fail finally he'd like he goes back mm. into his shell again exactly uh, could so have been interesting have the, you could have at the beginning of phrases and then he peters out and then the music finishes but he doesn't uh but instead it just sounds like they were trying to do a sort of sondheim jason robert brown sort of mm. like uh yeah, like conversational operatic sort of thing. And it just it it's so annoying and it's so unbelievable. Uh, and it, it, I really was like, shut up. Just it, it, words to, fail. So listen to yourself to make an entire song about uh, basically the phrase. I don't know what to say is an impossibly difficult task that they've set for themselves. And 
Uh, I think it really only gets going after Evan goes back to the woods. Uh, after the Murphys are like, get the yeah. fuck out of so, our house. So throughout this this movie, we've seen these shots of Evan climbing the tree at the time where he broke his arm, and you always see him grab this one branch as he's climbing that breaks, and he falls and breaks his arm. So now he's run out into the woods. He's crying, and he's climbing the tree. You see, like, the flashback of him doing it, and this time you don't see the branch break. So I guess Evan has been lying to himself in his mind about what he did on that tree on that day. Yeah, and he finally and it, faces it. It turns out that, oh, Evan Hansen also tried to kill himself by climbing a tree. And jumping out of it. A classic suicide by tree scenario. Which, again, yep. if you're making a dark comedy and you have a character who's really bad at killing himself. Yeah, that's, that's pretty funny. Like, that's that's a, a, a gag towards the end of a, a little night music. Yeah. You have Henrik going out there, and he has... There are these really tall trees, and he has a rope tied in a noose, and he keeps trying to throw it over the branches, and he can't reach them because they're so high. Yeah. That's funny. Well, this is what felt like... I, I could feel it coming. Like, I knew with all the flashbacks, I was yeah. like, he tried to kill himself. Obviously, this is a, this will be a reveal. And this is like... We just, you know, we're we're expecting I think the writers were expecting this revelation to sort of be like, oh, well, that explains it. Like, we can't be mad at Evan. Like, we can't be upset yeah. with him because he tried to kill himself. And it just doesn't but it's weird because you work. kind of assume it up until that. Point. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Like, oh, oh, we're supposed to be surprised that he tried to. Kill but also himself. that doesn't excuse yeah. anything no. he's no. done. No, it doesn't excuse anything. It doesn't ex I don't it, not only does it not excuse it, it doesn't even explain it. It, 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 no. it does not add anything. It just makes him and Connor to be more mirror images of each other. But also, and that's but the thing. Not. No, yeah. no, no. But that's the thing is that the writers in every single interview always talk about how he and Connor are mirror images. I was just saying that like all people who struggle with depression and all people who try to commit suicide are the same. That's like, yeah, mm -hmm. that's a yeah, fundamental misunderstanding. Like, I mean, you can maybe say that maybe they get to that point because Evan does so much fucked up stuff, but clearly the show doesn't think that what Evan does is really all that fucked up. Exactly. It's because just a Evan, bad situation he got himself into. Yeah, and it's Evan's like a also really not sad violent. episode of Seinfeld or something. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to throw myself out of a tree. <laughs> so she said she was gonna give me the scholarship. <laughs> I couldn't say no. So after we learn through flashback, hey Murphys, how's it going? That the fall was, uh, you know, that attempted suicide by tree. Um, Evan goes back home. Like the tree doesn't even fall on him. Like no. I would have loved he, it. He doesn't try it, to. He doesn't. Right. He doesn't try to hang himself. He tries to just jump off the tree. That is yeah. such a funny setup. It's gold, honestly. It's brilliant. Well, and gold, they say they know how good it is. <laughs> it's gold, Jerry. Gold. Um, you know, it's it's. They set it up throughout the show too that he keeps talking about how he fell. He, he you know he fell out of a tree, and everyone's like, "Well, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard." And they do it twice. <laughs> and then when he goes to finally confront his mom, and she says. You tried to kill yourself? Well, she, like, you, you fell out of a tree? He goes, yeah. She doesn't say, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard, because that moment can't be funny. Because they think that it's because it's suicide, we as humans, the way we mostly deal with that shit is by trying to laugh it off or by mm -hmm. trying to, like, make a joke. Yeah. And they just like, no, but it's serious. 
it's so, so serious. We have to be so, so serious in this moment. So she sings a song that sounds like she's been given a severe head wound. Oh, God. And can only describe things in terms of uh, how big they are. Yeah. This is my... well, it's, it's just like there's a real insight there where it's like a lot of things that happen when you're a teenager seem pretty big. Yes. And then in the rear view mirror, they end up not being all that important. Yeah. That does not apply to this no. current situation at all. No, things, this is going to haunt this boy. Things that things that uh, look very small and very significant in the rearview mirror uh, would be, for instance, the time in high school that I uh, could no longer contain my I was driving with a girl who I liked or she was driving, actually, and I could no longer contain my emotions. And I just straight up told her that I loved her. Uh, that was, <laughs> I, first of all, I forgot about this. I only actually learned about this fairly recently when she was talking. She was like, do you remember that time that like I was driving and you randomly told me that you loved me? And I was like, no, <laughs> oh no, I'm so sorry. And then um, it's like 30 minutes left before you get home. Uh, that it was kind of, it was, it wasn't not that situation. <laughs> you just have to sit there. So fucking funny. She anyway, turned up bop on the radio. But like, it's that, right? Like, that's funny. That's really funny. Yes. And so very much not what this is. If I had a kid and I learned that my kid had been doing this shit, I would be fundamentally afraid of my kid in that moment because it is so sociopathic. But Josh, he tried to throw himself out of a tree. Yeah, I so, know. I know. I mean... You know, we can't blame him for anything. Uh, I, so in the musical, we, we wrap up pretty quickly after this. Uh, we go to the final scene. But in the movie, they've added some stuff yep. to make Evan more accountable. He records he, he, he records an apology video. He does a notes app apology. Yeah. And I actually well, think, and then then he does this thing where he he tries to sort of hunt down more about Connor's life yeah. and he tries to find friends of Connor's. And then he finds yeah. someone who was in rehab with them. Yes. Who uh, then he's able to get like this video of Connor singing a song because it turns out Connor's parents never heard him play his guitar or sing. So they finally get to see that. We still don't actually learn anything about him. Yeah. No. Well, we learned we about his favorite books. Anything. Oh, Brian, oh, we learned oh. about his favorite books. One yeah, of which. So Evan reads Ready yeah, Player yeah, One. Just, <laughs> none of this redeems him at all. No. And I feel like the whole intention of this is to redeem Mr. him yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Um, and I do also just want to talk about Julianne Moore's song really fast. Yes. Yeah. I was going through a bout of turbulence at this time on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this song happened. And I just got so angry because if you if you write a bad lyric and you're oh. like, I just can't I can't find, I'm just going to put it in. Like if you do it, you either hide, you either rewrite it later mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. through, through edits or you hide it uh, within like a, you know, like a, a better rhyme or something. You like, you make it like a, a sort of like a throw off sort of thing. You just shouldn't do it. But if you do it, that's the way you, you, hide, do it. It, yeah. you hide it. You bury it. Yeah. You don't take it and you make it the refrain of your song and you repeat it again and again yeah. and again. The The house felt so big and I felt so small. <laughs> and then you repeat it. And then again, your mom isn't going anywhere. Your mom is staying right here. And then she repeats that again. No matter it, what. And it's this idea of like, well, where in here don't even rhyme. It's 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 just this idea that like in musical theater or maybe just in general, yeah. if you repeat something simple, yeah. it's it will have it will carry strength yes, and weight. Yes. And it just 
ravishingly bittersweet, a marvelous score by <laughs> Benj Pasek and Justin Paul, and an equally accomplished book by Stephen Levinson. Peter Marks, Washington Post. So here's what I think it is, right? I think that there is in musical theater nowadays uh, this increased feeling that like there's too much complexity. If you if you have too much complexity, it takes away from the ability to process things in a simple and straightforward way. Therefore, what you ought to do is simplify and really also kind of dumb it down because when you are in when you are in your most vulnerable moment in particular that is when you sort of regress to being a more simplified version of yourself the problem is first of all that's not true um you know it, it is true that maybe you are processing emotions in a way that is very overwhelming but it's not going to cause your language necessarily to revert to something that is you know, lower and less complicated, but also it creates something incredibly unsatisfying for the viewer because you're like, do you think that I'm stupid? Like, are you, are you, are you saying this to me in this way? Are you singing this to me in this way right now? Because you think I'm a fucking moron because that's what I'm feeling right now. I feel condescended to. It's also the problem with it is that the song takes place in the past tense. Mm. It's about something that happened, not that something is happening actively. Yeah. And so it it's like it's that thing that like in theater school, they're like, do monologues that take place in the present tense. Don't do don't do story monologues about like I was walking down the highway and the, and he came. Out. It's like you need to you want to find something. <laughs> That's to, my I favorite monologue. That monologue. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I How dare you use my work so, on the show without my permission, <laughs> Brendan? I, I think I think an instructive uh, contrast to this is a lot of the stuff in Fun Home. I think this is them trying to do what Janine Tesori successfully accomplished in Fun Home, specifically Michael Service's numbers in Fun Home, yes. where, yes. yes, there is a certain stri- stripback simplicity to what he is doing and saying, but it doesn't take his character and flatten it. It helps you understand that everything that is going on is a an active struggle that is happening in his mind right now. And B stems from the natural complexity of the character that we already know. We still know nothing at the end of this show about Evan's mom other than that. She is busy and she is sad about the time that their dad left. And she's rightfully pissed at him for trying to take a scholarship from someone yeah. else and by basically yeah. shitting on her for not making enough money yeah. or being around enough. And I don't know why, but the truck thing really bothers me. The, There's this, not another truck in the driveway. Well, she's speaking to him like he's a three-year-old. Is it because they yeah. want us to think that he is also autistic? This is a genuine question. Well, like, that, okay, okay. So that's interesting because uh, when my partner watched this, they were like, it feels a little offensive and I'm not, I don't, I don't know. I don't think there, it was an explicit is, intent on, the, on like, the part of the creators. There is this whole, like, yeah, they name the medications that he's currently on, but they're very vague about what his deal is. They didn't name yeah, the yeah, vaccines is, that is, he got. <laughs> oh, like, boy. Fucking... <laughs> <laughs> I saw right said Fred, which is like one of the leaders in the anti-vax movement. Oh, these no, days. they are. Yes. <laughs> Them and fucking. Apparently, oh. They're too they're too sexy for their immunity. But they they posted this thing that's like, hmm, the AstraZeneca vaccine contained pieces of a chimpanzee adenovirus. And now people are getting monkeypox. Hmm. Ooh, <laughs> it really makes you think. And for whatever reason, I, the what the thing that stuck with me on that, th- there's a million things going on there, right? It's it's you know it's baby shoes never worn, but it's it's the thing for me that really got me is like no one got the AstraZeneca vaccine, right? 
because it got pulled off the market after like a month. Man, there's no juice to this one. You got no juice. Speaking of no juice, this show has run out of juice. Yes. There's yeah. still no two. We've had like five songs now in yes. the second half. Yeah. And none of them are tunes. And somehow none it's still not over. Anything. How is it not over it's, yet? Evan Hansen then sends a copy of Connor's playing guitar to uh, to the Murphys, uh, to Alana, and then inexplicably to Jared, who has just vanished yeah. from the movie pretty much up until this point. In the musical, he's a little bit more involved with the Connor Project. He's actively selling merchandise with Connor's face on it to make a quick buck. He's a lot more despicable in in the play, but in like a fun, I guess, kind of way. I mean, it's 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 definitely more fun than what he is in the movie for sure. Like he's yeah, an he, active piece of shit, and there's something kind of nice about that, I think. Yeah, and Evan calls him out being like, you always hang out with me. If we're not friends, then why don't why do you hang out with me? It's because you don't have a friend. He's like, well, fuck you, man. And then, then, he, then he joins in the number of se- telling Evan to go fuck himself. But then he also <laughs> disappears, disappears from the musical entirely. And we finally yeah. end up with Zoe agreeing to meet up with Evan Hansen yeah. in the middle of the Connor Murphy Memorial Orchard. Yeah. yeah so again, a year has passed since the start of this show. Her hair is longer to show that time has passed. Um, he's he's <laughs> out of school. We've made it he's, to the purple summer. He He's taking a gap year. Working at Pottery Barn. You know, they have a conversation. She's like, thank you for fixing my parents' marriage. Our family's never been stronger. Also, fuck you forever. Goodbye. She doesn't even say fuck you forever. She just no. says, like, I wish that, you know, things could have been different is basically all it comes down to. Like, I don't think he deserves to ever see her again. Um, yeah. I think it, I don't like, I was really, I'm, I just like lean into it, lean into the consequences. Like, and it doesn't lean into the consequences. He gets to have a final conversation with this girl that he loved and, uh, she loved him under totally false pretenses. So she actually has no idea who he is. Yeah. Um, so like she's agreeing to go meet someone she actually has never met before. Yeah. Um, and then he gets to feel good that he's like okay well she you know it's over but but you know she cares and and i'm doing better and i i've i've made things right with their family i got to fuck with their grief and it worked (laughs) yeah Yeah. and you know what it was all on part of my journey Mm. and uh i'm better now exactly because i read ready player one now can somebody help me understand what this line means that zoe says yes I wish we could have met now, today, for yeah. the very first time. What does that mean? That they didn't have... Well, they are, technically, as, as Brennan said, they are meeting, technically, that's like, for the first true. time today. Uh, but it was just like, I wish things could have been... I mean, that's just... I wish things could have been different. They were destined for each other. He just fucked it up by the whole, you know, manipulating her brother's suicide But, like, is that thing. what that means? Yeah. Like, what, what does that mean? They would have been they would have been perfect for each oh. other. Yeah, they have so much in common, like... Yeah. So anyway, uh, like like they both don't have personalities and they're in the same show. It's it's supposed to all of a sudden be some weird like Romeo and Juliet type Star Cross lovers. Like it's just never, ever, ever demonstrated. They try to do it in that only us. It's It's just terrible. It it doesn't it doesn't make sense. It's like, well, you wish that you met what she's what she should have said was, I liked you, I thought I liked you, and then I met the real you, and I think you have a lot of work to do on yourself. Goodbye. Yeah. 
Yeah. And what she said instead was, I think you're a really great guy underneath that really, 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 really shitty thing you did to my entire family and to our entire school and to the memory of my dead brother. But it's also <laughs> it's, it's also it's also a thing that we really secretly wanted. So, you know, but, you know, yeah, it's what's, what, I, what I think is interesting about this conversation, too, is I certainly know that I at one point like. I don't know if this is something that all teenage boys have done. I feel like it's a thing that a lot of writerly teenage boys have done. AJ, I bet you did this at some point is to write a story (laughs) where you imagine meeting a really, really like it's not you. It's like a different character that is basically a self insert Um, meeting like a really hot girl and then like having not being able to date her for whatever reason. Oh yeah, no, I, I, I'm a narcissist. So what happened with me is that I wrote a play uh, that was about all of my past relationships uh, and I did not put in a stand in character for me. It mm. was just me because I thought that would be interesting sure. enough. It's it is the worst thing I've ever written. And uh, we want to talk about things that seem <laughs> big and small at the time. It felt like it was going to change the world. Right. And but yeah. that, that's kind of what I'm saying. Right. Is I feel like this is so adolescent. Like the, the, yeah. it made them all ducks. It was weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, like I'm surprised. All, all my plays are ducks. I'm that's surprised the that this last scene in this show was written by a grown ass man, but feels like it is fully in every regard adolescent fantasy down to the way that she speaks, the, the way film, that man. she's dressed, the way that he talks to her, the way that she talks to him, the whole fucking thing. You know, one of the things they were mostly concerned about when making this was like that, that you know, they said, oh, teens can smell bullshit from a mile off. Like, you know, if you're if you're doing something untruthful on stage, they'll be the first ones to go. That's untruthful. And I think to a certain extent that's true because they're humans. And, you know, we're most humans are pretty good bullshit detectors. But it it's they uh, teenagers have a hard time differentiating the truth from what they want to be true, especially the kinds of teenagers who go to Broadway shows. Yes. Right. Right. It's like, yeah, this is a this is a show for theater kids. This isn't like something that's trying to reach most teenagers i think what the actual quote should be is that teenagers can smell bullshit when they're attending a theater for young audiences performance (laughs) not when they're attending uh spring awakening or dear evan hansen i think because i've been in many uh theater for young audience shows where they definitely smell Yeah, the the level of manipulation that they can potentially be subject to is dependent on the production quality of the show yeah Yeah, if if, if teenagers can smell bullshit then glee would not have been running for seven exactly so so fine in its craft and rich in its themes that like the best works of any genre it rewards being seen again and again jesse green new york magazine so so let's talk about mental health shall we well before we just before we do that let's just talk about how this whole thing closes out which is evan writes himself one last letter it's gonna be a good day and this time he really believes it and that is him affirming his mental health so yeah let's get let's get into mental health let's talk about it yeah uh well the final shot of this movie is uh evan looking out on the orchard that connor couldn't give three shits about uh and uh being at peace you know the sky is blue limitless possibilities the shot looks terrible like the green looks like muddied yeah. and like this, this not optimistic it just looks it's an ugly movie it really looks like it's under fluorescent movie. light even you know, in daylight right right as the camera pans out three squirrels escape out of ben platt and he has to like shove them back inside <laughs> it's just not to reveal his dark evil secrets. It's, it's just, yes, it's well, it's meet Dave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Who is this for? I don't know. That's not me, even for me. me. Dave was for nobody. <laughs> yeah, it was sure. sure. It was barely for Eddie Murphy. Hey, so. did you like Norbit? Here's a worse movie. <laughs> This will get us back on track. Let's just (laughs) dive into the abyss. Mental health. Okay. So uh, Evan Hansen is able to uh, cure his mental health uh, through popularity about midway through act two of this movie. He stops taking his meds. He stops going to therapy, but he he feels better because he doesn't need him anymore. He's instantly cured. And you think that there's going to be some comeuppance for this, that surely he's going to have like a backslide at some point. And his mom will be like, well, did you stop taking your meds? He'd be like, oh, yeah, I stopped taking my meds. Like, we should probably take your meds again. But no, in fact... He's just kind of cured now, yeah. I guess. Uh, he doesn't return to them ever uh, in, in the course of the musical or the movie. Um, and that's all, you know, th- that's fine. I mean, at the end of the day, it's irresponsible, but like plenty of other properties have done it. I think that the place that Dear Evan Hansen is the most egregious, and we've brought it up a couple times before already in the podcast, is in its depiction of Connor's suicide and Connor himself as a character. Uh, because... This movie doesn't understand fundamentally how suicide works. There's a bit where Alana's like, uh, but in the emails, uh, you know, he said he was getting better and then he killed himself. That's not what people who kill themselves do. And it's like, well, actually, in fact, that is a lot of the time what happens is that when people actually finally decide to kill themselves, they seem more energetic and people think they're getting better because Mm -hmm. they finally have a committed action to get out. So like it, 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 okay, I'm going to read this quote. Because uh, uh, Stephen Levinson, who wrote the book and uh, adapted his own book for the screenplay for the movie, did an interview with Slate.com in an interview entitled The Writer of Dear Evan Hansen Explains How a, quote, terrible idea for a musical, unquote, became a Tony Awards favorite by Marissa Martinelli. Um, And in it, she asks... In the show, the tragedy isn't an accidental death, but the suicide of a teenager. In fact, the whole plot hinges on that one event and the lies and misunderstandings that follow. How did you decide to make that the catalyst for the story? And Stephen Levinson responds, I remember talking a lot about the way that Connor would die and why we felt it had to be a suicide. This was not our first idea. It took a while for this to emerge in the process. After years of working on it, we realized that Connor is, in a way, a stand-in for Evan. And vice versa. No, nope. two of them no, are actually <laughs> facing many of the same issues. They're battling many of the same demons and they just go different ways. That's how that became so central to the story of suicide and the idea of mental health. When we realized that it's about the desperate loneliness that both these young men feel. We never set out to write a musical about mental health issues or about suicide, but a lot of it just came into focus as we developed the characters more and got to know them. So, Brendan, I'm seeing you shaking your head, doing a face palm, etc. Well, it's not a show about mental health. I mean, in no way is it a show about mental health. It, it's, it's the first thing like that Pasek said, like I wanted to write a show about how people can sort of capitalize socially off uh, someone else's tragedy. And that it, it feels like they, someone eventually halfway through writing told them, Oh no, it's about mental health. And so they like, kind of like, like through this in and through that in and through that. And then they're like, it's about mental health. Uh, but in no, I mean, you're using someone's suicide who you never, we never get to meet or hear from honestly as the catalyst for your bullshit musical. If that person ever existed, you, you are doing the most harmful thing by writing the rest of this show. 
one of the things that starts to happen in the movie World's Greatest Dad is, you know, he's written this fake journal that his son did not keep uh, to to explain why his son committed suicide, which he didn't. He was jerking off and choking himself and died. <laughs> uh, in it, he becomes something. He, he ends up going on TV. You know, he's he's being like a, 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 a he's being invited to speaking events. He keeps talking about he, he becomes an advocate. He becomes like this well-known, you know, aggrieved father of a of a, a, a suicidal youth yep. who then becomes an anti-suicide activist. And also much like in Dear Evan Hansen, he is uh, achieving romantic success as a result mm-hmm. of this. Robin mm-hmm. Williams character is this attained a certain meta level because, of course, Robin Williams did kill himself. And for a long time, the the narrative around Robin Williams's death was that he was a sort of Pagliacci, right? He was the depressed clown. He was the guy who made us all laugh because secretly inside, because he was inside depressed. he was fighting demons all of his life. You, I mean, you'll just see it on the Internet still all the time. They'll have this quote from Robin Williams. If you're that depressed, reach out to someone and remember Suicide is a permanent solution to temporary problems. Right? That's what Robin Williams said. You will be found. In the movie World's Greatest Dad, (laughs) written and directed by Bobcat Goldthwaite. Right? Because Robin Williams himself was suffering from a prion disease called Lewy body dementia. That is a very, very quick decline in in your... neurological health and it caused paranoia and it caused it it, it caused him to, to kill himself. It had nothing to do with depression. It's amazing how that became like the main quote right after he died. People sharing the permanent solution to a temporary problem. Oh, wise words from Robin Williams. And some of them even have the screenshot from the movie right. where he's wow. saying that oh line, which God. I think that scene is the one that ends with him because he's like on a news channel and he's talking and then he just starts laughing. Yeah, he can't hold it in like anymore. It, it looks like he's crying, but he just he's just laughing on live TV. <laughs> it's a it's a deeply it's a deeply it's probably the darkest scene in the movie in terms of how yeah. cynical it gets because he is having trouble holding back how much he knows what he is saying is bullshit. <laughs> and he is finding it inherently funny, but he can't like say it because he's on TV and he needs to and, and it's such a weird Again, dissonance. It's such a weird thing because theater has so many people involved in it at a, at a much higher rate who struggle with all kinds of mental illness, right. including every present party in this conversation. And yet whenever musical theater especially broaches this topic, whether it's this or fucking next to normal, it's a catastrophe. Yeah, yeah. it is horrific. Just well, the, and also the like- lack of understanding they have of any of this. How dare you, like, if you're saying that Evan Hansen and Connor are the same person because they both commit, like, (laughs) you cannot, addiction and and depression are two separate monsters. They might have some crossover, some bleed over, but they're not the fucking same. Yeah. So you can kind of go fuck yourself if that's the PR you're spinning for this. Uh, yeah, well, it's it's also like they just, they didn't cut anything out from previous drafts. Like, the whole Connor and rehab thing, you're like, wait, what? Why? Why was he in rehab? Like, because he smoked pot? Was he in rehab for know. pot? Like, and, yeah. and it seems like there was an earlier version where it was a kid who died of a heroin overdose. And weirdly, a lot of the musical's problems 
aren't fixed, but are made better if Connor just dies of an accidental drug overdose that then maybe they like manipulate into being a suicide. So then it then mm-hmm. like start capitalizing on that. In the current version, he's just Connor is fucked up because he's a school shooter. Right. Who doesn't take that route, but instead yeah, just I mean, kills he, himself. He, he, he's violent. He has rage issues. I mean, he's not really a school shooter. He's seen that way because he nothing works for him. Whereas with Evan Hansen, he's able to go along with anything. He can go yeah. along. With, but Connor can't ever fit into any of those circles. And so it's weird to see someone who wrote this show for like six, seven years. And maybe this is part of the poison of writing a show for that many years. Like you just start to disconnect from it in some fundamental way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because like, no, they're not they're not remotely similar. Just the little bit we see of him. He's a clearly different person from entirely. He doesn't. I mean, if he has anxiety, he has a much higher performative quality than Evan Hansen because Evan Hansen can't hold a conversation like like the boy is like crippling has crippling anxiety but not when he sings and yeah but not when he sings Evan Hansen Evan Hansen you could take him and put him in how to succeed and he would do so well yeah he he just all he needs is a little push and then he just starts lying his little butt off he has a way to, to get through the world whereas Connor it seems doesn't the other thing is that, like, it doesn't really feel like a musical. It's a it's a weird way to put it. But like in the for example, in the first two scenes, there are two reprises of Waving Through a Window. So they do Waving Through a Window and then it's like three minutes of text and then it's a reprise of Waving Through a Window and then it's another minute of text and then it's another reprise of Waving Through a Window. That, the motif from Waving Through a Window comes back at the very end too, when uh, Evan yeah. is singing his fucking I Threw Myself Out of the Tree song. Yeah, it's it's that like idea that used to be in like pop music that you need to put your hit at the yeah. at the very top of the yeah. album yeah, yeah yeah um and they did it and they were like we know what our hit is we know how catchy it yeah. is we're just gonna hammer it in for the first 15 minutes we're gonna play 30 seconds of it while you wait to buy tickets <laughs> from second stage there's something very interesting about the sort of historical moment that dear evan hansen finds itself in right because the play came out on broadway and was pretty successful right before the pandemic hit The pandemic Mm -hmm. happened and then the movie got created and released during the pandemic. What does all of this tell us about the shape of entertainment toward toward uh, young audiences, uh, toward the way that we perceive mental health as a country, toward the way that we portray issues of mental health in our entertainment and the way that that is going in the future? What what does this all mean broadway is back that's true i think just right off <laughs> the right, right right off the thing uh when i saw jeremy hansen yesterday live um there was almost no one there uh is what i can mm. say it's not selling very well anymore wait you i i thought you watched a bootleg you you went to the actual thing. yes i, I watched a bootleg and i also saw it i don't know why you do this to yourself I had to know. And the thing is, <laughs> like, literally no one asked it. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I did. This, I did this in my own volition. But like the the other was thing, you do, the other thing I wanted to feel was how the sound was mixed, because a lot of like the they crank up the bass mm. to the point where you feel it. Drum. Yeah. You feel it in your chest uh, as you're watching the show. And so I feel like that also tricks people into feeling more. Yeah. Because it feels like the song is literally inside of you. Uh, and you feel yourself being like, yeah, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, and I, I think that there has been a major shift in terms of, you know, that bullshit detector that Levinson was talking mm-hmm. about. 
this idea that kids can smell bullshit from a mile away. And I think the fascinating thing about the release of Dear Evan Hansen, the movie, was that people outside of theater for the first time got like a like a, a, a glimpse into the story. They finally understood what Dear Evan Hansen was about because they thought it was probably just another like um, love Victor thing where it's just like a story about, you know, star crossed like a teenage lovers. A lot of people lovers. did think it was about a gay kid. Yeah. Mm. And then they found out what the plot was and went, what the fuck? <laughs> and it seemed like the entire what I think happened was the movie actually poison pilled the Broadway show because what mm, it did was sure. people were watching it going, I no, I don't want to fucking see that. Like you could get tourists into the Broadway show and you ha- play the bass so loud it gets inside them. They leave going, oh, that was a great show. But when they see the movie first, they're like, I don't want to see that on stage. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't I don't want to see a man puppeteered by an army of squirrels running about <laughs> causing mischief on another family. That's just not. That's that just is not appealing anymore. The actual music, it's all so fucking sad, like the way that it's built, the way that it's written. It's all such like there's not real much fun to be had in the show. So I'm like trying to figure out what songs the super fans are drawn to besides waving through a window. And I think that's found. it. Uh, only us is very popular. Yeah, that's true. Uh, as like a, people, as a love like duet. world's fair world's fair words <laughs> fail as well. Yeah, And actually people really like, <laughs> I love the world's part in Dear Evan Hansen where they go to the world's fair. <laughs> world's fair. Robert the Moses is there. Pan American exposition. Um, <laughs> it's the dawn of a new day. They also, people really like that I will sing no Requiem. Uh, yeah, they really? like love that shit. Yeah. Oh, it just makes no sense. Just... And maybe maybe just being able to watch it personally on the screen yeah. where it's happening, you're able to really see that you're the, because like theater is fucking magic. Mm-hmm. When it's good, mm-hmm. it's magic. And when it's passable, sometimes it's it still, still feels magical. magical. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Yeah, if I go see like a show at the Delacorte, which is where they do Shakespeare in the Park for free and sometimes other musicals, I've never had a terrible, terrible experience because the show is free. I've waited in line. It's a New York experience and it's magic. You know, the show is magic. And so Mm. I'm, I'm guessing that there is, you know. Neil LeBute has basically built an entire career off of that. Like anytime Neil LeBute goes and makes another movie everyone goes what the fuck is going on how does this guy have a job and then he releases a new play and then everyone's like another real head scratcher another real thinker from from america's leading iconoclast neil labute i I, I also want to real quick then take it and you know certainly the medium is an important thing and you know in a post-pandemic environment where the future of live theater is something that is very much in question i think hey, this, broadway is back i know broadway, and the, i know that presence. broadway is back <laughs> but like i i i wonder too like you know looking at like national statistics about mental health right and, and about depression specifically and about the way that it is very much on the rise i'm looking at something from the pew research center um in 2017 13 percent of u.s teenagers uh 12 to 17 said that they had experienced at least one major depressive episode in the past year, up from 8% in 2007. So we're no, having like right. a 5% uptick over the course of a decade. That's going to keep going up. And the reason yeah. that it's going up isn't because kids are so sad. It's because the material circumstances of the world around us are getting objectively worse every yep. day. Mm-hmm. And that is something that dear Evan Hansen doesn't understand either. Right. The U S suicide rate is much lower on the whole than, than the big offenders, which are, you know, China, Japan, and then Russia is way above all of them. I know Russia South Korea is really high too. 
has has an absolute rocket of a suicide rate that that the East Asian countries sure. can't can't even compete with. Hmm. But Japan at its peak, right around the time of the, the the sort of late 90s Asian market failure that was already following a decade of, of decline in Japan. That peak, which which they've gone much lower since, like the especially 2010 and on, it's been dropping, was around, I think, 23 per 100,000. The suicide rate in the state of New Mexico, where I'm from, is higher than that. Wow. Fuck. Right. New Mexico is a very poor state. Uh, mm. It's a state that has a lot of Native American people in it. The suicide rate among Native Americans is um, unbelievable. There are, yeah, there are material circumstances that are worth discussing in all of that and and this musical doesn't want to engage with fucking anything at all again next to normal which was the previous one that like even got awards from certain like mental health foundations mm. which shows you how much the nonprofits are helping us yeah um, and also those same nonprofits were the ones interviewed for this musical so. right and next to normal ends with what happens if the cut the burn the break was never in my brain or in my blood but in my soul you got a soul problem and that well i'm just like is there any musical that has existed that that tackles mental health in a passable light and and was it successful or do they just not exist and should it even exist like is it subject matter that can even be dealt in that media. I, I think so. I, I think media. a lot of Sondheim shows, they're not about mental health, but like, mm -hmm. you know, um, not getting married today is a panic attack on right. stage, yeah. uh, which I think is probably the best anxiety portrayal I've seen in terms of just patter and in terms and of the song. Funny. And it's funny as hell. Right, right. Um, and then also, honestly, a little night music, I think, deals with a lot of like, the yeah. suicide stuff uh, in a way that is more Chekhovianly funny, like just very darkly funny, I, but also like has characters come out the other side. Yeah, I would know? point to Fun Home for that same reason. Oh, yeah. And Fun oh, Home. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. Uh, right. And Fun Home is also has the benefit of working off of something real. Yes. Right. Yeah. It's it's right. Bechtel's own life story. It's an autobiographical novel but, that she wrote. So it is incredibly specific because of that. Mm. But that's like the, the, the moment that I, that still sticks with me from Fun Home after all these years. I didn't see it on Broadway. I saw the at the public at the Newman mm. before it went to Broadway. Yeah, but yeah. the moment that still sticks with me after all these years is the song that Michael Cerveris sings before yeah. he fucking kills himself by, you know, standing yeah. in the middle of a highway. At certain times of day, I see how fine this house could be. I see it so damn clear. Oh my God. It's yeah, like yeah. you you feel in that moment every single part of who he is and what he is dealing with. And it is something that is tied up both in his personal conditions and his material conditions, because that's right. what really happens when you're depressed. I think like part of the success of these examples is that none of them tried to answer anything. Mm. And I think Dear Evan Hansen and Next to Normal both 
even though they, yeah. didn't, they didn't try to solve mental health, but they tried to put a little like I think next to normal it. did try to solve yeah. mental health. <laughs> I think next to normal did yeah, solve mental clear. health. <laughs> yeah, no, we're good. <laughs> that's why Dear Evan Hansen is redundant. That's why Alice Ripley ended up being such a well-adjusted yeah. person. Like, <laughs> don't look that up. Don't look it up. Do not look up Alice Ripley female teenagers. Don't do it. And I think what Dear Evan Hansen, to bring it back to this, is what they thought they were doing is they thought they were ending on a question mark and mm. they decidedly weren't yeah um they didn't they yeah they they left it on a question mark of like maybe like it'll be i'll be okay uh, but will i but like they had sort but of yes i will up the mental health <laughs> sort of issue um yeah i think the last piece that is oddly missing from dear evan hansen hmm. which is when i say oddly i mean it's very odd because the whole thing takes place at least on stage in sort of a cyberspace type environment with social media. Yeah. He doesn't actually understand the effect of like social media at all. Oh no, no, no. 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 And we it's could talk the internet is very dumb. We could keep talking about that all day, but I guess th the point that I want to make with that is that that's just one more material condition that it completely uh, swings and misses on. You know, when we look at depression and we look at rates of depression among teenagers, it's disproportionately higher among girls. And a big part of that is due to the fact that like the body image and the presentation of like who people are on like TikTok is completely fucking unattainable. And so yeah. we are heading toward this future where the presentation of the self in many ways is a lot more important than the actual self. It has very little to do with this Dear Evan Hansen idea of like, well, if you just let the real version of yourself show forth, show through, you will be found. That's not yeah. real. And I find it so incredibly frustrating that this show in many ways is being treated and has been treated as this really beautiful, uplifting, forward moving way for people to, you know, and especially for teenagers, for adolescents to think yeah. about their true selves. This isn't about your true self. This is about creating mm -hmm. a persona that destroys the world around you. And yet for some reason you get forgiveness. And I think that's fucking unconscionable. Yes. yes. Agreed. Anyway, absolutely. Um, yeah. Brendan, <laughs> uh, you know, thank you so much for coming on and, you know, talking with us today about your Hansen. gripping and heartfelt <laughs> with a gorgeously melodic <laughs> score by Ben Basic. <laughs> um, is there anything that you would like to plug or talk about that you have going on or coming up? <laughs> Nothing happening. <laughs> uh, uh, are you still selling that record? Oh yeah, I got a I got a, um, a Lord of the Rings Christmas parody Ooh. album called Christmas in Middle Earth, and it rules. I have it's it right, it's, right over there. I get is, up, but uh, I can't. Hey there, Mister Samwise, don't you think that we've been good? Haven't tried to kill you since we passed those woods. So you cook your potatoes, but we. silly uh parody album um that i probably don't have the rights to have made uh, <laughs> and i made it and you can you can find it on spotify and apple music and you can get a you can get a vinyl pressing if you want you you, you can't yeah you can catch uh brennan dalton in uh dickinson Ooh, uh, in a guest right. starring role that's true. and I, as josh was about uh, as about to say uh recently brendan was off broadway 
uh, in was. Tambo and Bones, uh, which is now Bones. running in L.A., I believe. Oof. It is for nine more shows or nine more days at Center Theater Group. Yeah, um, I'm not in this iteration, but you should still go see it if you're on the West Coast, because it is one of my favorite plays I have ever encountered. And I love everyone involved. That's it. Oh, and then if anybody uh, wants a, you know, an audio editor, I'm yeah. uh, I'm available. Or a theme, or a theme song. song. <laughs> or a theme song. I write, I write theme songs, too. Or a jingle. Or if you, you heard it performed live album. at the top of this very episode. Our yeah. theme yeah. song. Yeah. Wasn't that yeah. Yeah. It mixed really well with the actual yeah. theme song played over it. It was beautiful. <laughs> oh, and I'm fostering a dog right now. Ooh. If there's anybody um, out there looking for uh, a new companion, her name given to her was Fendi, but we don't like that. Um, she looks more like a fern. Uh-huh. But she's a 35-pound terrier oh. mix. And she's adorable. She's about 11 months old. And she's a sweet little lamb. So um, anybody looking to get a dog? Uh, just um, wander around wherever Brendan lives and just scream, I want the dog! Or or go to Hearts and Bones, um, their Instagram or their website. And you can see all the wonderful wow. animals Hearts and Bones, Tambo and Bones. Tambo and Bones. Is there anything you do that doesn't involve a skeleton? My next project is called Bones and Bones. <laughs> it's a, it's a bones dissection of myself, but it's literal. Oh, it's no. And, uh, yeah. It'll be my final performance. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to kill yourself live on stage? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, but it's all for the, it's, it's all for the kids. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that, um, folks, is how you do a suicide uh, joke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Josh, you talked earlier about uh, what, like, the future of, like, covering mental health will be uh, in the American theater. And I think all I really have to say about it is that I hope that whatever comes next deals with the subjects of anxiety and suicide and depression with more nuance than the waving through a window and you will be found Ben Platitudes hey. that we oh. get from Dear Evan Hansen. I'm the worst of all possible AJs. I'm the worst of all possible Brian's. And I'm the worst of all possible Josh's. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. All right, folks, that sure, well, that sure was something, huh? Thanks again to Brendan Dalton, the author of our theme song, for being our guest this week. You can check out his work over at his website, which we have linked in the description below on this episode and on every episode, because he wrote our theme song. Of course, now is the time to give thanks to our new $5 patrons, Laura, Emilia Uranga III, Stefan Mosignac, Trevor, Emma Peterson, Nathan Sanders, and Marcy. We hope you stay a while. And of course, a very special, regular, weekly thank yous to our $10 patrons, who are Annette Alford, I Hate Brian Alflord, Nathan Woods, Katie Wall, Alexa Valentine, John John Johnson, Silverbear909, Dara Swisher, Wallace Sean Deland, Rosie Armstrong, Tony Diddy, Hannah White, Timmy Sexton, Ashley Stoneman, and Nikola Donov. Have a good one.